Welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle, and thank you for joining us at www.sonic-cinema.com. This is part two of my discussion with Marv Dickey on our annual, respective annual uh, horror movie marathons during the month of October. And uh, here we are going to be discussing our 10 favorite horror films of all time. Uh, this was a complicated uh, endeavor for Marv, but he had some pretty interesting films to list, and uh, we compare and contrast and talk about uh, the films on our respective lists, so I hope you enjoy that. Well, we've gone through uh, some of our favorite uh, new horror films or new-to-us horror films uh, from the past month, and uh, now I'd like to uh, just sort of do a quick rundown of our uh, respective uh I know you said it was it was gonna be tough for you, which that doesn't really surprise me that uh, one bit, given how much of a uh, horror fan that you are. Um, this has to it, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> this has to man. Yeah. I, I was I was busting you at some point. Thing. No offense, and I, I didn't really truly mean it. But <laughs> this homework that I had to do, I've never put together a top ten list of my favorite horror films before. Yeah, and I legitimately. My first list was like 65 deep. <laughs> I, I seriously said, I'm going to start with naming all the ones that I would, I would consider my favorites. Yeah. Like yeah. it was legitimately like 65. And then I cut it down to about 40. Mm-hmm. And then I got to like about 30. And then I got down to 19. Mm-hmm. And then I was all like, let's do top 19. Let's just do top 19. Yeah. <laughs> Please, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> well, in, in- I, I had my. Uh, and that's, I my cork board and my yarn attaching each one. And I got my little <laughs> index cards full of notes. And, yeah, big old. Uh, yeah, you sent me here. the. Uh, yeah, you sent me the GIF of uh, Charlie Day, the conspiracy, uh, the board. Yeah, the, his, the and, yeah that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and the thing is, it's like I know how difficult it is to make a list like that because I mean, a couple months back, I did a uh, list of the the forty. The, the 40 movies that shaped my first 40 years on Earth. And it's like, some of them were easy choices, but there were there were at least like 10 to 15 more films I probably could have had on that list. But I don't know what I would have removed. And it's like, that's, that's always the rub with that. And I mean, especially when, especially when it comes to movies that, have an impact or genre that has a particular impact on you um it's it's definitely difficult to uh it's it's definitely difficult to uh whittle that down narrow them down um put them in a tiny little box of ten yeah and the funny thing is it's like earlier in october i said it's like yeah i have a feeling my top 10 horror movies might change this year it's like Honestly, when I go back on my list, it really didn't. Most of them have been on there for a few years. And then, of course, when I said, oh, yeah, one through five is set, but six through ten, maybe not. And then, of course, I it occurred to me, oh, crap, I don't have this on here, so that's going to be my number six. But, uh, yeah, I mean, for the most part, my list has fundamentally been the same. The biggest change this year uh, was the Law of the Order is a bit different from what has been previous years. But I mean, it's, it's, you know, and the thing is, it's like there, 
you know, I can theoretically see, I can theoretically see a uh, world where, like, American Werewolf in London or Monster Squad would uh, <laughs> rate higher on this list or rate on this list at some point. Um, but I can also, you know, it's what will I remove? And that's the biggest, that's always the biggest question is like when doing lists like this is like, okay, I've got, I've got movies, but I've got these, this amount of movies, but what can I remove from it in order to, uh, make this the specific length that, you know, it should be. Right. Put it in the box. Yeah. Put it in the box. Yeah, the box of 10. There's only 10 little, little spots for each movie. And, and that's how I was like, I'm like, there's more eggs in the carton. You know, I'm, I'm <laughs> to my head. I'm like, I'm just seeing the world as like, you know, there's, there's more entertainment than this thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why, Brian? Why? <laughs> hey, I, I, I like a, I like a good challenge though. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a worthy challenge though. I think. Yeah, it's a, it was a, it was a challenge that for sure. Like like I said, I've I've done. I've always said like what my favorites are, mm-hmm. but I've never specifically designated a slot for each one. And besides, yeah. my no, my number one has always been my number one since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I think something like that, like we we hold that high regard. I mean, it it really. That's the one that's always though is the top of the list. I feel like in the end is always going to make the most sense because of the fact that it's like, well, yeah. I mean, if it's something that you've been a favorite, it's been a favor of yours since you know you were a kid or for like 20, 30 plus years, it's like it makes absolute sense why it's going to be up there. Um, right. So, uh, yeah. So to to start off. On, I'll go ahead and start off with uh, my number ten list, and it's one. It's it's one of the more recent. There are only two films from like the past thirty years that are on this list, actually, and uh, mm-hmm. they're my ten and nine slot. And number ten is uh, James Wan's The Conjuring, which Obviously. was absolutely uh, has been a favorite of mine since I saw it in theaters a few years ago is the best film that James Wan has done. Um, he's, he, after it was, we were talking about death, uh, dead silence uh, earlier and just how ridiculously bad that was. I, one of the things that struck me was watching that for the first time. And I had already seen death, uh, death sentence, which came out the same year as dead silence. Uh, which is not really a horror film. It's based on a book in the Death Wish uh, vein. But, uh, is that the Kevin Bates movies? Yes. Okay, yeah. cool. But the next horror film that James Wan did after that was Insidious, which I really love as well. Yeah. And uh, the thing that struck me the most is how the director of saw and then dead silence was able to take a step back and basically become a master of the uh ghost story of paranormal storytelling of uh supernatural storytelling after that with uh, his insidious films and now with the conjuring and uh the conjuring which is based on uh 
based on the actual uh, life of um, the Warrens, who are paranormal investigators, uh, this is about one of the most notorious cases. And uh, it's it's a movie that it feel, it follows in the exorcist vein in a lot of ways, and it's hard for a movie like that not to. And it just completely... It, just hold on to you from the first moment, even from the the prologue with the Annabelle doll, and just doesn't really let you let go. And it's probably it's easily the best movie James Wan has ever been at. Uh, had he's he's ever done as a director, I uh, gets fantastic okay. work. I absolutely, I absolutely agree. It, it's it was it was actually uh, I did. Uh, as a theme uh, a few years ago was the, uh, also the 50 movies I hadn't seen because last year I did franchises, but uh, uh, I, that was the first movie I watched and it wound up being the best movie I watched that year. Mm-hmm. The Conjuring. So that was my number so 10. I, uh, my number like nine it. is, uh, I mean, I don't know. Do you want to go back and forth on our lists or? Yes. Yeah. Why not? That'll help us keep, help me keep track. Okay. <laughs> okay. So my number my, ten my is number, The Conjuring. My number ten is a movie that saved horror in the nineties. Mine is Scream. <laughs> if you had asked me like ten years laugh? ago, it definitely would have been on my list, and it's probably still uh, in the top fifteen twenty for me easily. I was taken off guard by the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, uh, horror was dying a miserable death in the nineties. Yeah, uh, we had. We had uh, probably, to me personally, Jason Goes to Hell was probably the just is one of the worst uh, Friday Thirteenth movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't care what you say about Jason Takes Manhattan. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it, that was like the the only Friday Thirteenth movie we got in the, the early nineties. It was ninety three, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. We got a couple Nightmare on Elm Streets, Freddy's Dead, which I absolutely adore because it's so cheeseball and campy. Um, but we also got Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which was, you know, a new take, which is, it was good enough. It's not, to, to me, it's one of the worst nightmares. Uh, but we, not we, a lot completely of people actually... di- we completely disagree on that. I mean, I, I can't speak about phrase event, phrase dead, but I mean, oh, I love, the worst. I love New Nightmare. I, I, and the thing is, it's like when you think about New Nightmare and Scream together, it makes sense. Like there's some of the DNA from for scream, even though Wes Craven didn't write the movie is in new nightmare. I think in terms of the execution and yeah, just to be fair to defend myself here, (laughs) I, I like a new nightmare. I don't hate it and I'll watch it again and again. Mm -hmm. But to me, if I'm just, if I'm ranking, if I'm ranking all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, yeah, at the bottom is Part Two, and right above it is a, is a New Nightmare. Okay, all right. But, but yeah. yeah, absolutely, Scream. It was you know like it. There was a trend of fairy tale horror movies all throughout the early '90s too. We got mm-hmm. Leprechaun, Rumpelstiltskin, a few Snow like dark Snow White movies. We got a, a Pinocchio. You know, it just it was a there was an underlying theme in the in the the genre of it was just awful. We had we had misery 
I think, yeah, Misery was 90, right? Yeah, Misery uh, was 90. We had Misery, Sound to the Lambs. Yeah. That's about it. <laughs> but, uh, and we have and, we know, had a couple of King adaptations, too. But, I mean, yeah, for the most part, other King adaptations as well. But, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, for the most part, did horror did kind of was was kind of on a uh, on a its, downward yeah sense. trending downward. Mm-hmm. We can we can communicate with the millennials here. It was trending downwards, kids. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but when when Scream came along, it was it came out the same day as Beavis and Butthead do America, mm-hmm. and I was absolutely the world's biggest Beavis and Butthead fan. And I wanted to see that one, but my buddy Mark wanted to see Wes Craven's new movie. And I'm like, all right, it's you know, it's horror, and I love horror, but it was the horror. It was stagnant. I guess a good term would be stagnant. The horror, yeah. the horror genre was stagnant. We went opening night, and uh, and uh, we didn't know what was coming. Mm-hmm. And with that first viewing of Scream, especially on the big screen, and at the time, you know, nothing like that had happened, had been, you know. Dreaming spoiler free, the the killers came out of nowhere for us, both of us. Yeah. So it was like, what? Are you kidding me? You know, it blew our minds, and and it was just a a, a big fr- breath of fresh air for the horror genre, and and I that's one of the reasons why I had to put it on my list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I and like I said, I absolutely love Scream. Uh, it's one of Wes Craven's best films. I'm not going to say it's the best film because I mean you've got Nightmare on Elm Street. You've got Last House on the left. Um, but I mean, Don't it's it's definitely one of his Music. best films. Uh, Music of the Heart. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's in that was it. Been a while since I had really because I I've talked about it that and I've I've talked about it on other podcasts and I've talked about it in reviews and stuff like that how I sort of got away from the slasher genre in particular, but horror movies in general, um, for a few years. And, uh, I mean, I would watch one every once in a while, but, I mean, I wouldn't really go out of my way to watch them. I mean, Scream was one of the ones that sort of brought me back to the genre. And a big part of that was I was becoming... I was kind of becoming, like a Randy type savant when I come to uh, movie conventions and stuff like that at the time, that was when I started really getting into movies was 95, 96. So, I mean, I was kind of like Jamie Kennedy's character in that movie. Um, and that was one of the things that I liked about it. But I mean, I just, yeah, I mean the, the, the way it was structured, the way the story unfolded, the, the way the killers are revealed, the the way the storytelling is, it just it it really was unlike anything that I think the horror film genre had seen in a few years. And then of course the irony is that the next Kevin Williamson script that got produced was I Know What You Did Last Summer, which basically is exactly the type of movie that Scream is poking fun of. Um, it goes back to what I was saying. This goes back to what I was saying earlier about the burning. You know, Friday Thirteenth was a huge success. So there's a lot of clones. That, yeah. Uh, who's the killer at the, at the camp? You know, sleepaway camp and the burning. But yeah. The it, wow. There's a lot that came out that was that followed the, the screen mm-hmm. uh, formula. But and, and even more irony that 
it was a parody film. Yeah. It was it was a parody of the horror genre, and a lot of people don't know that because it's so well done as a horror film itself. Mm-hmm. And and I just I absolutely I love it. I do. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so my and number. You, you want to? You want before we move on? You want to? You want to give out a fun fact about part two? Sure. About your mother. Oh oh, thank you for wow because I I completely forgot I had told you this. Um, I. No doubt mentioned this. Yeah, so in Screen 2, which was filmed in, which was partially filmed in Georgia at uh, Agnes Scott College, um, in the uh, lunchroom scene where Jerry O'Connell is singing to Nev Campbell, uh, in the very, very back, uh, my mother is an extra as one of the lunch ladies. And she was on set the entire day, and it was a long day. Jerry O'Connell was apparently really, really cool about keeping everything entertaining and stuff like that. And Wes was really, um, Wes was really a terrific director. She really got a, uh, she really, uh, had a, had an admiration for him after, uh, that day. Uh, not that she was a huge horror fan herself, but I mean, it was something that, that that uh that was one of the things that she did because she was she was an actress for a time and I mean she tried to she had bit roles and stuff like that extra work primarily but yeah one of the things she got to do was screen too and uh, yeah so I mean she she came back from that day just really uh, kind of beaming about the became, experience in general. She became a fan of more of Wes Craven the man the director yeah. than his product. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, I she, I had, well, and I had, I had shown her, uh, scream by that point, obviously. And, uh, right. cause otherwise she wouldn't have been terribly interested in it. And I mean, we did watch the, uh, third film in the franchise together as well when it came out a few years later. Um, oh, that's awesome. but yeah, uh, so yeah, I mean, she, she had that, so I have a little bit of a personal connection to screen movies. Um, but I mean, that's that's not necessarily the reason that I like them. I like them because they're really, at least the first two are really effective horror movies. Um, yes. Even four. Four brings it back and it's really solid. Yeah. But that's a, that's a debate for another day because I've gotten into it with people about the part four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my number nine is the newest film on this list, uh, and it's one that came out. It's one that came out earlier this year. It is uh, it chapter one. Um, I've had the miniseries on this list a few times over the years. It's gone back and forth as to whether it's on it. Um, I absolutely love this version of uh, Stephen King's story. I thought the, and the fact that it focuses exclusively on the kids, it doesn't go back and forth like the miniseries does as to, oh, well, it's Mike bringing the group back and we get the flashbacks and stuff like that. No, this is the present day. This is quote unquote present day, which is to say it's yeah, set in the specific time and place that's, the most of the movie is set and it is right. it, the way they ended up bringing this to life is extraordinary. 
I love the cast in it. I love the way Andy Murchietti, who directed Mother, or no, Mama, which was another very good horror film, um, the way he brought it to life, uh, Bill Skarsgård puts a really uh, unique spin on Pennywise um, and does the best thing possible, which is not replicate what Tim Curry did, but instead does his own thing. And uh, I... I absolutely love the movie. I it's one one of the few movies I've seen multiple times in theaters this year. It's one that I know I cannot wait for them to do chapter two in a couple of years. And I'm very curious to see how their interpretation of the adult part of King's story, how that's going to work, especially being somebody who's been a fan of the miniseries for the longest time and knows that while, yes, there are things about the adult part of that story that work, there are other parts that don't work, like the giant spider creature <laughs> that is the it at the end of the movie. Right. <laughs> um, I, I absolutely adored that movie. It was phenomenal. I've only seen it once, and I can't wait for the Blu-ray. I believe in December it's coming out. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, I have one huge complaint about that movie, mm-hmm. and it, it 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 doesn't hamper the overall enjoyment for me, except for it, it's just a bit of an annoyance for me. Every time Pennywise did anything, it was a jump scare. It was, yeah, it was it was just, it was a uh, loud noises, music, but a lot mm-hmm. of bangs on that piano whenever Pennywise would do something. Yeah. Like the, the scene in the basement, the scene in the basement when he's just like charging, you know, swimming at him. Mm-hmm. It didn't need, it doesn't, it, jump scares have their place in horror. I absolutely, it, you know, like a false, a false reveal. A jump yeah. scare is fine. Yeah. You know, yeah. like you creep around the basement and then all of a sudden the cat jumps at you. And mm-hmm. Boom. They hit the piano, hit the piano really loud. You know, I, I understand. But to every time the villain, like it showed up or attacked or anything was associated with the jump scare. And I'm like, there's a lot to be said about a movie that doesn't have to go there. Yeah. <laughs> every time, and it, you know, you can have the original didn't have jump scares at every, every turn. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I think that's one of the, one of the things I enjoy about it. Plus I do, like I said, the, you know, uh, Skarsgård did, uh, it's Scar- Skarsgård. Yes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, uh, anyways, uh, uh, him not being the playful Tim Curry clown mm-hmm. was I, I did I did like that that it did separate the two. It's like saying here in an alternate universe, this is mm-hmm. Pennywise. Yeah, in this universe, Pennywise. You know, so it's I, I love that, and, and he didn't he didn't try to replicate Tim Curry like you said. And I, I think mm-hmm. that's one of the best parts about it. I mean, I think the one. Of, I think one of the best things, especially if you're comparing it to a series, I think one of the best things that they did in this, I mean, I, I've never read Stephen King's book, so I don't know if it's a big part of the book, book's arc or not, but one of the things that really grabbed me about the film, one of the reasons that it it kept going and just really latched on to me was the idea that Bill is in denial about Georgie's actual fate. The fact that he says he's disappeared as opposed to everybody knows he's dead. 
the fact that he can't come to terms with what exactly happened to Georgie, that is one of the most powerful things about the movie, and it's one of the things that really grabs you emotionally about the movie and just puts you through the ringer while the story is unfolding. And yeah, I agree there because it's real. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if you've ever uh, heard or talked or anything about people who have lost, like someone's gone missing. They the date unless there's definitive proof that they're no longer in the living plane. Yeah. Uh, they they still treat it like they are, and they're just not here. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't know where they are, but they're not here. They're off doing something else, whatever they are. Yeah. Or doing whatever they're doing, and it's. It's heart wrenching, especially when it's written on the wall to everybody else around mm-hmm. them that, you know, I'm sorry, your brother, your son, your your daughter, your sister, your mother, they're not coming back. Yeah. You know, and, and when they when they say, Oh yeah, they're coming they're gonna be coming back all right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. They'll be back, you know. Yeah. And that that's with uh, with Bill and, and Georgie is the like even in the original mini series, you know, when they you know, they say when you know, Georgie's dead, and they're like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, yeah. Bill. Well, and the thing is, it's like Bill in the miniseries, though, I mean, he, he's, he's gotten to that place of acceptance. He, he's just, he's just, he's in a different area of, I mean, he's still grieving, of course, but at the same time, he's, he's accepted the fact that Georgie's not coming back. He's just, right. he's just going through the grieving process where where Bill in the movie, he he just hasn't gotten to that point where he he thinks that deep down he's going to find Georgie at some point. And yeah, the idea that I mean, I've been fortunate enough not to have anybody uh missing in my life as far as, you know, they've disappeared and haven't heard, you know, what happened to them. But um right. no, I I completely get why why it would be so difficult to let go and why it would be so difficult to you don't want any you want proof of what what happened to him but deep down you don't want to because you're afraid that it's going to uh it's is going to uh confirm your worst suspicions yeah the closure is going to be negative yeah yeah all right but yeah, it is worth worth every bit of praise that it's gotten. Mm-hmm. You ready for my number nine? I am. Mine is a uh, from 2010. I, you're gonna see the like years gonna. You said yours uh, are gonna be a lot older. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a lot of I had a lot of older movies. Like maybe later I can tell you my honorable mentions, but uh, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> um, but a lot of them, mine are more modern. Within like within the last forty years or so. Yeah. Uh, number nine is uh, from 2010, and it's a South Korean film. Again, like Chang, you know, the home country of Chang Busan. But this one is I Saw the Devil. Okay. And yeah. It, have you seen it? I have. I I actually saw it in the theaters. Uh, one of the art house oh. theaters uh, in Atlanta actually played it. So yes, I have I seen I Saw the Devil, and yeah, that is that is a really good. I I've always considered it more thriller than horror, but yeah, I mean it's it's definitely well, it's, the, it's definitely horror vein. I well, well thriller is the, to me it's like there's horror and then there's all these subgenres. 
Yeah. And there's more subgenres to horror than any other genre, but like, you know, from vampire to zombie to thriller, you know, mm-hmm. thriller slash just you can put those both in the, the same. But it is a thriller, but it's also a little bit of a torture horror. Yeah. Because, you know, he went, it's it, anybody who doesn't know out there is, uh, it's basically a revenge film. Uh, a man's, a man, is his fiance? I can't think off the top of my head. His wife, fiance, or girlfriend, his significant other, we'll, we'll say that. Uh, car breaks down in the middle of nowhere, and she's confronted with a serial killer who does what he does with her. Mm-hmm. And he is a, a secret agent um, for South Korea, and he winds up tracking this guy down and finding him. And through a series of capture and releases, he basically makes this guy's life a living hell. Yeah. An absolute torture filled living hell. And he's, he's paying the price for, uh, for what his, his deeds. And it, the atmosphere in this movie, to me, it, it like, it like just, it grabbed a hold of me and it wouldn't let go. And, and I absolutely, I, I rented it and cause I wanted something new, I wanted something fresh. I rented it back in like 2011, 2012. And uh, that weekend that I had it, I probably watched it three times. I absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. And I haven't watched it since because I wanted to, I wanted to give it some time yeah. to mellow out because I had watched it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I consumed it a lot. I just wanted to give it some time and, and when I was thinking, you know, I was like, what about foreign films for my list? I, I went to one that's on my list a little bit higher, and this one popped in my head. Mm-hmm. And so number nine is for me is I Saw the Devil. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, I, I have seen them. Fairly certain I've got a review of it on Sonic Cinema. Uh, yeah, I, I really I really liked it. Definitely. I mean, it was coming off of uh, Chanwook Park's... Uh, Revenge trilogy of Old Boy's Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Lady Vengeance. I mean, that was because of the fact that I had gotten into those movies. That's part of the reason why I became interested in watching the movie. And uh, yeah, I, I ended up seeing it and really enjoying it. Um, really, really thought it was on par with uh, what Park had done as far as the uh, revenge thriller. So. Uh, right. Yeah, my number eight is it's one of the one of the iconic horror movies. It's nineteen uh, sixties Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Um, yes, it is. I I look at this, and this is even before you even consider the uh, sequels that were made in the eighties. Uh, I consider right. this ground zero for the modern slasher film. Uh, if you look at Absolutely. the structure, if you look at the the way it builds uh, the character of Norman Bates, it is straight on slasher film. Um, and one yeah. of the thing, and it was funny, it's like I reviewed both this and Texas Chainsaw Massacre for my movie weeks this uh, past October, and it was interesting that it was completely unintentional that both of them are based, inspired by the story of Ed Gein. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre more so than the uh, story of Psycho, but both of them have that genesis in that story. And uh, just the fact that the way it's... It's one of the definitive horror movies. I mean, it's one of the definitive movies, period. It's one of Hitchcock's very best films. 
I mean, there's really not much you can say about that hasn't been said by dozens of and hundreds of other people before. Um, just the way he builds the uh, suspense, the way he misdirects you in thinking that uh, Janet Lee's character is going to be the main character of this movie and then turns into Norman Bates and the way that we sympathize with Norman Bates. Um, and yeah. the way that, I mean, you you get the feeling in the parlor scene with him and uh, Janet Lee's character that something's not quite right with him. In particular, something is not quite right with his relationship with his mother. But at the same time, you're not, you can't quite pinpoint what is going on. And it's really interesting. And the way Hitchcock is able to take you by surprise with the final reveal that it's not actually the mother doing these killings, it's Norman, is even though we've kind of had suspicions over the the hour and 40 minutes before it still takes you by surprise when you first see, uh, Vera Miles's character, uh, spin Norman's mother around. Right. I, I, I love that movie. I have, I, I do. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's mother should be their best friend. Everybody's best friend should be their mother. <laughs> and, and of course we all go a little mad sometimes. Yeah. Um, and of course the, the fun, the little fun facts about that movie is, uh, uh, you know, of course, everybody knows the chocolates are used for blood, mm. but you know, not a lot of people know that the very first uh, cycle was the first movie to show a flushing toilet. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> that is the very first movie to show a flushing <laughs> toilet. Mm hmm. And, and it wasn't as bad as people thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a uh, yeah. I mean, it it was a really risky film for uh, Hitchcock, especially coming off of. I mean, he he was by that point. I mean, he was he he was well known as a director of elegant thrillers. You had North by Northwest, you had Vertigo, you had Strangers on a Train, Rear Window, and then all of a sudden he basically he basically makes something as close to an exploitation film as Hitchcock could make. And it's this black and white thriller where the soundtrack is nothing but strings, and it's it's quite definitively one of his best films, and one of his Absolutely. one of his most imitated films. So, yeah, my number eight is yeah. uh, Hitchcock's The Shining. So, you said The Shining, or sorry, Hitch Hitchcock's. Hitchcock's uh, that would be an interesting Hitchcock's movie. Like a uh, Alfred Hitchcock's oh, Psycho. So, uh, there you go. what what is uh, your number eight? My my number eight. We're we're going foreign again, and this is this is uh, my absolute one hundred percent favorite horror uh, that's outside the United States, and it's from two thousand. It's from Japan, and it's Battle Royal, or uh, Battle Royale, as some people pronounce it with the <laughs> at the end. This took me off guard in 2004. Mm -hmm. uh, a buddy, I believe a buddy went to a convention, a horror convention, and he picked up this this bootleg, so to speak, of uh, Battle Royale, because we never got an official release until a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, here for home video or 
home video was his VHS uh, for, for the you know <laughs> at home yeah. DVD release. Anyways, uh, we got this bootleg DVD in 2004 from a buddy who brought it over. He's like, I bought this on a whim. I, I you know I wanted something different, and people were praising it at the booth, and I was like, I thought they were just trying to sell me on it. Bring it over. Let's watch it. Cool. Let's do this. Let's why not? Let's do it. We all were blown away. It was stunning. And of course, if if anybody doesn't know, if if you if you've seen the Hunger Games, mm-hmm. you've seen you've seen Battle Royals influence. I don't care. Yeah. Like I don't know <laughs> I don't know the honest truth, but from what I heard, is the writer of, of Hunger Games said that they didn't know anything about this Battle Royal thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know how true that is. That's just something I came across in I think a podcast or some someone shouted out or I read in a horror article or something. Uh, don't know the truth and validity of that, but. If he if he honestly says he's never heard of it, he's full of crap or she. Who, is <laughs> it's, it female she. Or it's female. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's Hunger all right. Fans. But, <laughs> but I refused to watch Hunger Games for like two years because I, I heard that it was pretty much Battle Royal. And I was like, I love Battle Royal. Screw that movie. But I watched <laughs> Hunger Games and, it, and it's good. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, Battle Royal is the Battle Royal act was. The movie is about the Battle Royal Act in the future Japan. I believe it's 2019 or 2020, and it's a way to control population. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would get a class class of ninth graders, and they you know they gas them, put them to sleep, and then they wake up and they're thrown into this deadly game on this island where they they have to kill everybody in three they got three days, and the last one standing wins. If not, not everybody standing, then these explosive necklaces on them will detonate and everybody will die. Mm-hmm. And the the violence, the the imagination that came with this, the, the that these are like fifteen year old, you know, even sixteen year old kids that in Japan they're just like they're having to kill their classmates mm-hmm. to to try to win. You know, it's like everybody dies if unless there's one one person standing. And uh I won't ruin the ending, of course, but it is so phenomenal. And it, I just, there was a while where I got my own copy. I wound up, I wound up ordering uh, my own bootleg online, and uh, it, I just, I couldn't stop. I couldn't mm-hmm. stop watching it for the longest time. I, I watched it over and over and over. And of course, uh, I can't remember her real name. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm really bad at that with foreign names. But she was Gogo uh, Yabari in the Kill Bill movies. She, she is in. Okay. Uh, the schoolgirl with the with the, the yeah, I know face. who you're talking about. Yeah, I can't okay. remember her For, name either, but yeah, I can't remember her real, her real name either, but yeah, I know who you're talking about. She's she's in Battle Royal as well, and when I had already seen the Kill Bill movie a year prior, yeah. and when she showed up Battle Royal, I was like, hey, it's your bitch, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, man, what else has she been in? And not not much for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but Battle Royale, Battle Royale stunned me. It floored me. Part two, the first 45 minutes of part two are absolutely ridiculously good. And then it becomes, uh, they escape the game like everybody escapes the game. And it becomes a political thriller pretty much. Mm. But uh, and it's not that good. It, it really isn't. Before, after, after 45 minutes <laughs> and everybody escapes the game, you can turn it off. Hmm. You, you can just turn it off. You, you've seen enough. You've seen a good part. <laughs> <laughs> I. But that's my number. Yeah, unfortunately, you, I still think? have not seen uh, Bell Royale. 
I I know I know a lot of people love it. I mean, I know the uh, I definitely know its reputation based on the Hunger Games. But yeah, I mm-hmm. I still have not actually seen it. I mean, that's that's definitely something I will uh, make a point of seeing though, just because I mean I've heard so much about it, and it's like I've heard it's really good. So it's like yeah, I I just. I, I have such a backlog of movies already that it's like I need to see that. I mean, it's so hard to keep up some sometimes. Oh, absolutely. So, Especially when you have a good a good summer that you, you don't get to everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right. So my number seven, uh, we're going to go way back here. This is actually the earliest film on my uh, list. It is from... Uh, is the uh, Swedish uh, director Benjamin Christensen, and it is his uh, 1921 film, so it's a silent film, uh, Haxen, which is also known as Witchcraft Through the Ages. It's it's definitely one of the more curious uh, silent horror films. The Criterion Collection released it uh, several years ago. I don't think they've reissued it for Blu-ray like they have uh, a lot of the other movies. Um, but uh, it's I'm sure you could also find it on YouTube as well. It is a curious um, blending. It, 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 it has the structure of a documentary about how witchcraft has been seen throughout the ages, but there's a lot of recreations, and there's a lot of stage sequences. And uh, it's it's very infamous for the uh, the director Christensen uh, portrays Satan in it, and his uh, the his his visage as uh, Satan is one of the more iconic uh, iconic sights in uh, silent horror cinema, and it's something I came across. I started I watched uh, about fifteen years ago when I started. When I first started to get into Netflix and uh, first started to rent stuff through Netflix, I'd heard about because of the Criterion Collection, and I saw it, and it really made a lasting impression on me. And uh, it's 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 just it's just mesmerizing. It's it's a fascinating. I mean, there are title cards in it. There, it's silent film, so it's all title cards and uh, soundtrack. But it's just, if you're a fan of horror cinema, I cannot recommend it enough trying to find it and watch it. Uh, it's completely, it's one of the most, uh, I feel like it's probably also one of the most influential uh, horror movies of all time as far as uh, as far as a particular type of horror when it comes to Witchcraft, when it comes to uh, satanic uh, horror, it's definitely influential there, and uh, it's it's something that I try to watch every October. It's one of my app, and it's this was one this and uh, it chapter one were the only two uh, horror films that were added to uh, my top ten this this year. Um, these were the two big changes as far as contents far as my top 10, but it's, it's been hovering around that area for, for a few years now. 
So my number seven is uh, Haxon, Witchcraft Through the Ages. I have never heard of it. I, I would definitely I recommend it. I, I would definitely recommend it. Like I said, you could probably find it on YouTube. There are shorter versions of the movie as well. Um, the one, the Criterion has both like a 69-minute version that is called Witchcraft Through the Ages. Uh, the original one is about two hours. And it's this weird combination of horror recreation horrors staged horror with documentary and it's just fascinating to watch just in that respect excellent it's haxon like this can you spell that h-a-x-a-n a-n okay yeah that's not how i was imagining it <laughs> okay I'll, I'll i'll try to find it definitely you know because i'm i watched uh, kevin and dr Talagari. yes uh, a couple years ago for the first time, and I was like, whoa, I was blown away by it. I was like, holy cow. Like, yeah, that's... I, really, I, I do a good silent film every now and again. Yeah, that, and Cabinet of Dr. Calgary is one that, uh, that, that is got to be in my top 15 as far as all-time favorite <laughs> horror. I absolutely love that one. Um, kind of surprised Criterion hasn't put it out yet, but the fact of the matter is, it's like that one, even though it's relatively public domain, I mean, you can always find it out on uh, some format or another. Right. Okay, so my number seven was Haxon. What is uh, yours? Mine is a, a film. You have to, excuse me, I'm letting my dogs out. They were looking for a place to, to go. So there's a little bit of traffic right now, sorry. Uh, a bit of an echo. Uh, my number seven is a, a movie that basically, it wasn't the first, and, it, and, it, and it's a genre, subgenre. But it was probably the one that brought the, the found footage subgenre to light, and that's the 1999's The Blair Witch Project. <laughs> yeah, that's that's another uh, one I would probably put in my top, probably my top 20. I don't know about my top 15. But yeah, that was one that I was considering for my uh, top 10 this year. I was, I was absolutely blown away. I had, I had never seen anything like it. Like mm -hmm. uh, on that level of like people actually, this is their, this is what they felt, man. You know, like that they played it off. They, like, mm -hmm. and I, I bought it hook, line, and sinker. I was like, are you kidding me? This really happened to us? Because I had watched <laughs> a sci fi special. Yeah. The sci fi channel aired a special that, um, uh, about how it was real. Jerks. Uh, <laughs> but I, a total hook, line, and sinker, and like, I seriously went, I had to go opening up. I was like, I have to see this movie. I have to see it. And it was a packed house. I was like, wow, this is like, people want to see this movie. Mm -hmm. And we walked in and I was just like blown away. Everybody, I went with like four friends and everybody <laughs> who went and said like, I got sick, man. I thought I was going to be sick all this bouncing around and stuff. I was like, I never did. I yeah. never got sick. I, I never felt that. I was just stunned and amazed and I loved it. And, uh, and then we go home that night that night and we see on e entertainment you know the entertainment channel e yeah uh, yeah the red carpet, the red carpet premiere for the movie <laughs> about all the buzz there's josh michael and heather yeah you know, talking about the movie I was like, what i was like blown away even again you know like you know i was like what no way this is all bullcrap whatever so i had to see it again mm -hmm. <laughs> and i took another a group of because i came from a large uh, family of friends yeah I call them uh, I don't have a family tree. I have an orchard. 
just because I have so many, so many friends with different last names. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I wound up taking a bunch of friends to watch it from the perspective of this is phony baloney. And I was like, nothing changed. Mm-hmm. I absolutely loved it. Nothing, knowing that it's not real this time around had, had no bearing on whether I liked it or not. Yeah. And I was so happy. I was so happy that I took a, another group of friends like that. The opening weekend I saw it Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Mm. I loved it. <laughs> and all but two of my friends got motion sickness. <laughs> and I thought that's funny. Whenever somebody's like, I don't like Blair Witch, I'm like, watch it again with an iPad. Yeah. Like, you, you, you won't get to, you won't worry about that. When you take what we did perception, we won't worry about it. <laughs> Yeah, I I had a uh, I had pretty memorable uh, time watching that too. See, and the thing is, is like by the time it came out, I knew that wasn't actually you know real. I I knew that was a film. Um, I my when I first saw it, it was the Monday. It was actually the Monday after it came out. It only been out. It only came out in like a couple of theaters. One of which was the. Uh, uh, Unite Artists, now Regal, uh, Tara and Buckhead, very famous theater in Atlanta. And it was okay. in two, I think they had in two screens. I went after, I was taking summer courses. I went and I was going back and forth on uh, MARTA. So I, after my classes, I got back on MARTA, went to my car, drove back, back down to Buckhead to go to see it at the Terra. It was packed. This was the Monday wow. after it opened. And I That's sat, I, no joke, I sat like five rows from the front. This is a large freaking theater. Like, it's a long theater. Like, it didn't have, they don't have stadium seating there. It's a very long theater, though. So it's like, I was near the front. And yeah, it, that movie, that movie definitely had an impression on me. And yeah, it worked completely for me, even knowing the fact that it's like it's just a movie, right? And yeah, I mean, I the way that they did, the way that they set that movie up, the way that they set as found footage, the way they the way they marketed it was brilliant. And absolutely, and I also blame the Sci-Fi Channel for helping out with that garbage because <laughs> I got I got sick. Yeah, I got fooled. <laughs> <laughs> after after the I saw that movie at like that weekend, I was like, oh man, uh, I have to, I have to see if there's anything that like this. I'm like, is this the only thing? And so I fired up the old web TV. <laughs> we had a web TV at the time. Yeah, um, you know, it's 1999. What are you gonna do? Um, uh, got on web TV. Went on like a message board. Or the bulletin board, I think they still called them back then. Yeah. And and I discovered that there was another film that came before this in from Canada, I believe. It was called The Last Broadcast. Mm-hmm. About I've heard of it. Found footage of um, it's found footage of like a camera, uh, like a news reporter with this cameraman, and one of them goes crazy. Yeah. Um, and I had I had I had to find that movie. I totally forgot about it because it had been a couple of years. And in like 2006, I came across a copy of it and I watched it and it is really good. But like <laughs> I said, it has, it's just like, it doesn't stand up. It doesn't yeah. stand up to Blair Witch. And even after, 
after nearly 20 years of found footage films, uh, I I almost despise the genre, the mm-hmm. subgenre, old found footage. But there are some that are still good. Yeah, and yeah, there there are a handful that work still. I mean, part of the problem is, I think, especially it, and I think it especially happened after, uh, you know, I mean, I I think part of the reason that Blair Witch stood out is the fact that they, and part of the reason why nothing else could really uh, duplicate success is the fact that they they played it as being 100% real. Like, you watch a Paranormal Activity movie, you watch any other found footage movie, you know you're watching a movie. Like, it's... No thanks. Like, yeah, it's just a movie. Like, you know there's there's no, like, backstory to it or anything like that. You know it's staged. You know you're watching a movie. And yeah, that was one of the things that was so effective about Blair Witch, even after you know that... It was just a movie. The fact that they sold it that way, the fact that they played it off that way, and the fact that they did it in film, like, oh, this is footage that we put together of this this crew trying to make a documentary. And it just completely works. And I think it's because it was the first mainstream one as well. Yeah. Like, people weren't exposed to that that type of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. It was a new, fresh product, and you know you can't be fooled twice. Yeah, with with the same with the same gimmick. Yeah. So that's my number six, I believe. No, it was seven. It was seven. seven. I'm sorry. Yeah. So we are up to number six, and my number six. I'm fairly certain you're going to find this uh, sacrilegious that's so far down, but I promise you, it's. I I promise you, there are better film. There are. Movies that I still love this movie as much as I did the first time I saw it. It is Sam Raimi's oh, Evil Dead 2. Oh, I'm glad I made it. I'm not upset. I'm glad I made the list. <laughs> oh, it was going to make the list. I mean, that was that was the one that's like, I had my top five already made, and then number six comes across, and I remember that, and it's like, shit, I remember that. Well, that's my number six. But, yeah, Sam Raimi's Evil Dead 2, which... I, you know, and the thing is, it's like, I don't think I saw the evil, I don't think I really saw the Evil Dead movies until the, uh, until Spider-Man came out, and I got interested in Raimi, and so I started to watch, uh, Raimi's films, and I started with the Evil Dead movies, and, uh, Evil Dead 2 just absolutely, just absolutely puts books in me and i i couldn't get enough of it it's just i love the the fact that it's a horror movie that's also staged like a looney tunes cartoon is probably one of my favorite things about it yeah it's very uh three stooges-esque slapsticky almost did i lose your brain yeah i'm 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 here sorry i'm just uh yeah i'm still here sorry Obviously, obviously, the Raimi's influence are up there with up there with his influence on Three Stooges, because even it goes as far as doing the fake shimp, the fake shimp credits mm-hmm. uh, for Part One. Yeah, because they had some make stand-ins. 
you know, the, it goes back to the, you know, the whole Stooges with Shimp, uh, pretty much on his deathbed and can't act. So they tossed a wig on a bunch of people and only shot him from behind. Mm-hmm. Fake, fake Shimps. And, and I knew about the fake Shimps before I even saw the Evil Dead stuff because I, I grew up as a Stooges fan and I'd be like, that's not him. <laughs> <laughs> that's not Shimp. That's yeah. some guy in a wig. And I was right. Nothing, nothing like validation when you're a child when you catch something. Yeah. No, I, I, and I mean, Bruce, I actually, I think I, I think I had seen Evil Dead 2 before, I think I had seen Evil Dead 2 before, um, Spider-Man. I think I had seen it by that point. Uh, I mean, part of it was because of the fact that I had heard about it, um, I'd heard about when Entertainment Weekly was talking about uh, DVDs, and they'd mentioned the Bruce Campbell commentary with Sam Raimi. And it's like, that was something that it's like, I absolutely need to see this movie just based, just to listen to this commentary, which is basically something else. So, yeah, I mean, that was, it was a movie that I'd seen just because I had heard about it. And I think part of it was also because of the fact that they talked about in High Fidelity. You know, and Jack right. Black's character said, it's like, what would you say? Or it, no, it was John Cusack's character who was saying, what would you say to somebody who had said, I hadn't seen Evil Dead 2 yet? And it's like, for even though I I had to see it after that, because I loved High Fidelity. And uh, Absolutely. yeah, it, it just, um, it was just so, yeah, I mean, that, that movie is just, it's, it's a great, um, it's a great use of comedy as horror. And it's like, it's, you know, you have this debate as to whether it's a remake or a sequel. And it's like, it's a remake, but done yeah. in the vein of Warner Brothers cartoons. Yes, but there's also the theory, there's a theory out there that Ash died at the end of part one. Do you yeah. remember the right before the the credits roll, the, the the camera shoots through the woods and through the house, right up into a space where they actually busted out his teeth filming it. Oh wow, yeah, I forgot about it, that. Yeah, they filmed it on a dirt bike, and the dirt bike didn't stop quick enough, and the, the mm-hmm. camera smashed out Bruce's teeth. They just edited it just right so it doesn't look like he smashed out his teeth. <laughs> but there's a theory that the clocks, all the clocks stop, and the in the at least at one clock stopped in Evil, in Evil Dead. Yeah. The theory is that he died and he, part two and three, is he's in hell. And okay. Different, le- level, different <laughs> levels of hell. That's just one of those fan theories, you know? It's, there's no true validity, you know, mm-hmm. as far as I know. Sam yeah. Is, Sam and I, I even haven't mentioned that they've thought that far. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my number six is Evil Dead 2. So, what do you have for your number six? Can you still hear me? Yes, I can still hear you. Okay, because my my alarm went off. I'm sorry. Oh, it's all Usually right. Usually, it cuts out on, the, on phone calls. It'll cut it out. My number six is probably uh, although Psycho started the slasher genre, this one made it popular. 1978 Halloween from mm. director John Carpenter. Yeah. Uh, there's not enough good things you can say about the original Halloween film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it started the whole 
slasher like uprising of the late seventies throughout the eighties. Yeah. You know, it, and it, it is you can you know I mean, although Texas Chainsaw was there uh, from seventy four, but that hadn't had the cult following that it does now. It was it was a movie that people were like, well, if you can see it, see it. Mm-hmm. But there's no home video. Yeah. True home video. Yeah. And there was, I think, 75, 75 with the beta. The Betamax came out 75 for VHS, came out 75. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Um, but yeah, Halloween, uh, John Carpenter's, uh, man, uh, originally called the Babysitter, Babysitter Murders, I believe, or Killer, the Babysitter, no, it is the Babysitter Murders. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, Jamie Lee Curtis became a, a, a star. Yeah. On that movie. Um, um, sorry, my dogs are just going crazy right now. Oh, that's sorry, all right. I'm preoccupied. Uh, Michael Myers, he's he's an icon. When you think the the most iconic killers in horror movies, you're gonna list Freddie, Jason, Michael Myers. He's usually third behind those those two monsters, and, and mm-hmm. as he should be. You know, granted the the series. The series kind of kind of trailed off through the years. That didn't stay true to the original the original film. But the the stalking the stalking that he does in that movie mm-hmm. it's just it gives people the creeps. You know, like when he's peeking out behind the hedge and then he's not there. Yeah. And, uh, but a lot of the success, I would have to say, a lot of the, the success that. Uh, Halloween had was because of John Carpenter's score. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that atmosphere song, the everybody knows that as the, the theme mm-hmm. song. Yeah. Uh, it, it's on. It's in every Halloween shop, store, and pumpkin patch, and it's <laughs> everywhere at Halloween. Yeah. And I've heard I've heard like house music, like dance remixes, and heard heavy metal versions of it. Mm-hmm. That song, and plus it's it's you know the. The score is just phenomenal for that for that movie, mm-hmm. and it builds it builds an amazing atmosphere for for the the movie wouldn't be I think honestly wouldn't be what it is if it wasn't for his, John Carpenter his his style and his music. You know, Jamie Lee Curtis did a great job. Tom Pleasance is amazing. Yeah, but, uh, I do attribute a lot of success to the music, but the movie itself just it it involves me because it's. It's Halloween, man, and they capture, they do capture the Halloween feel, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you, although every once in a while you, you, you see, uh, you see um, that it wasn't truly filmed in the fall. Yeah. And then, you know, the backgrounds and stuff, and then I noticed that little stuff, but um, to me, Halloween, um it's it's not Halloween time like October without a feeling, and I didn't get to watch it this year, and I kind of regret that I didn't watch it. Um, it's just a standard for me every year. Yeah. Just to peek peek in yeah. peek in at Haddonfield and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry, my description kind of. No, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, I mean it's. <laughs> I I mean I I will say it's like I I did watch it this year. I it's it's not quite the uh hasn't traditionally speaking hasn't quite been the uh staple for me as uh other films are, but I mean it's it's definitely been that way the past few years. I mean, I think one of the things that and I mean you mentioned the score, you mentioned 
you know, the fact that it looks like, it feels like Halloween. I mean, I think one of the things that I love about that movie, uh, watching it uh, this last time, was the fact that it's, it feels very much, um, it the story is just simple, and it's simply told. It's, it's the most pared down um, version of that story you could do, and it's effective. And it, you know, it's like you don't have, uh, you you don't have complex uh, story ideas coming through, and you don't need it. Like, why is Michael Myers like this? Well, there's no explanation for it. And I mean, Donald Pleasance just says he is evil, and it's like he does not have any humanity. And I think that's part of the. It's a big part of the reason why that movie. St- is so effective. Yeah, so he's a monster because he just is. Yeah. Who apparently knows how to drive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, how he... he just, how, you know, how, yeah, how he... Uh, how, how, how he learned to drive well in a uh, psychiatric uh, facility is beyond me. Um, Especially since he was a small boy when he, when he entered. Yeah. It's been 13 years. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so, actually 15, I thought. was I thought the prologue was... 63 but um no it's it's uh even the tagline i think is 13 13 years later okay comes home oh okay maybe like yeah may- or maybe there's 15 maybe it's 15 years later i don't so. remember but uh yeah you, I am drawing you, the yeah um I, you have to forgive me i just i just checked my blood sugars and i'm very high so i'm kind of distracted mm. oh no my blood sugar that's, that's all right I'm I'm sorry for being kind of dull at that on this one, <laughs> and I hate it because it's a remake. I absolutely yeah. love Halloween, and that's another thing why I think the the remake of Rob Zombie failed. Um, he spends the first like half of the movie explaining why Michael Myers is the way he is. Uh. He had a bad childhood. His mother was a stripper, and she had an advertisement in the paper because I think she was also an escort or whatever. Hmm. And kids at school found it and made fun of him. And it's like, don't, I don't want to know why my monsters are monsters. Let the monsters just be monsters. Yeah. I don't care. Well, we get enough of Jason. Like, just on a side note, like, uh, along the lines, in the first movie, we get enough of Jason because that was, that was the motive for Pamela Voorhees to do what she did. Yes. And that, that's all the background we need to know. Mm-hmm. But we don't need to find out, like, well, because he was a mongoloid, as they use, you know, it's obviously a bad term these days, but that's the term they use in the movie. We don't need to find out that he, had, he was a special needs child, and mm-hmm. because of that, he was bullied, and he was sad, and his mom was the cook at the camp because she was a nice lady, but everybody made fun of her, and, you know, or whatever. We don't need any of that. Just, he was he was a special needs child who got bullied, and he wound up dying because of it. Now he's back for revenge. Mm-hmm. Ta da! Simple. And I hate that, that nowadays they have to they have to have reason and like like we're a bunch of idiots yeah. watching the movie and be like, Oh, that's why he, he's angry and killing. Oh mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah. You know, I, I feel I feel like they're talking down to us when they when they do that. And that's one of the things like I felt about Rob Zombie that he did wrong. And I think he really needed he really wanted to squeeze Sherry Moon Zombie in the film. Because <laughs> <laughs> Sherry plays his wife plays uh Michael Myers' mom. So I think a okay. lot of it had to do with that. 
But yeah. it also was an time where people felt the need to explain why the monster is the monster. And in this movie, in the original, they don't. And mm-hmm. I'm glad they don't. They just, and they, they just only call him Michael Myers. And even in the credits, he was just called the shape. Yeah. You know, the stalking shape. And just a simple stalking. Mm-hmm. You know, just, just a, good, a good suspense. The suspense was built very well. And the, and the kills were, were excellent for its time. Yeah. I love when he wears the sheet on his head and puts the glasses on. <laughs> Yeah, that was Hilarious. yeah that that was a good one. Yeah. Um, okay, so your number six is Halloween, and it's funny that you mentioned Jason and the uh, first Friday Thirteenth because my number five is the original Friday Thirteenth, but I also include Friday Thirteenth Part Two. And the reason that I do that is because of the fact that they are. A uh, completely circular uh, storyline is a completely circular um, narrative. And you mentioned one of the great things about uh, Pamela Voorhees and the original Friday 13th is the fact that it's like there's only you don't get a huge convoluted explanation as to why she is doing what she's doing. And that is absolutely true. And the same can also be said for Friday 13th Part 2 when Jason takes over. Because you you get a clear sense that the reason he is doing what he is doing is because of his mother and what happened towards his mother. Now, it takes a little, a considerable leap to the idea that Jason was somehow alive for all those years and now he's grown and all of that stuff, that that is a considerable <laughs> leap to make. But the fact of the matter is, it's like, it, it begins the franchise proper into what it became, but those first two films really create... If it just been those first two films, it would be a successful first film as well as a pretty terrific sequel uh, that closed all the loops that you don't necessarily need. Um, you don't necessarily need uh, anything more than that. It just is what it is. And that's one of the reasons that those two movies, uh, Friday 13th and Part two have endured for me for so long. That big old mama's boy, huh? <laughs> but yeah, that's, you have to suspend disbelief a little bit more with the second one than he did the first because he's living in a shack that he built himself. It's like, yeah. You would think in the last, uh, what was it, uh, 25 years? <laughs> something, like, something like that, that he yeah. did since he passed away or whatever it was. Uh, you think he, you know, someone would have come across this, especially when the kids were like going out to Camp Blood, you know, fooling around out there and, you know, journey can be teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> you would think someone would have come across this shack in the woods or seen a, a smoke coming from a fire when, you know, because it's supposed to be uh, Camp Crystal Lakes in New Jersey. Yeah. And the only reason why I know that is because on the truck in the first one, uh, there's a, a phone number on the truck for, for a service. It's like mm-hmm. a service truck, and yeah. uh, like, I can't remember if it was plumbing or electric electricity, and I looked up the area code, and the area code's in New Jersey. So <laughs> it's in New Jersey, which makes sense why the in part eight, the crews would go from Jersey to New York. Okay. You know, via or whatever. But 
yes, yeah, uh, uh, someone would have come across in the winters because it's cold winters. He would have had to build a fire. Mm-hmm. You know, come on. Well, and, and, but, and you know, that's yeah. what it is. We, we, if you think too hard into it, you're going to find all these things. Mm-hmm. I do that sometimes. <laughs> well, and the the thing is, it's like the. I've always kind of figured that, you know, the, the Shacky as in uh, part two is that's, that's a, one of the rundown uh, camp, camp buildings, you know, campsite buildings. It's like, that's how I've always looked at that as opposed to being something that he built himself. So just because it was such a mess, you know, like, and it looked like it was just parted together. That's why I was felt he built his own. Oh, I can, I can, I can certainly see that as well. I mean, you know, you you do bring up a good point that it's like well then you know nobody will have come across this, but no I mean that's how right. that's how I've always read that. Oh, okay, I can I can see that like maybe he added on or fixed yeah. holes in walls or something. I can see that too. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's weird that you know after all these years we have two different perspectives of living arrangements. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my number. But yeah, he, he, Part two, like just a little, little night. It, it like it showed his love for his mother when uh, Jenny put on the, the sweater. Yeah. You know that that definitely. Uh, yeah, spoilers. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, it definitely showed his love of his mother. Yeah. And how much he, you know, he was it was his weakness. Yeah. And every killer has got to have a weakness. And it's a bit of a. It, it's a bit of a. Uh... It's it's definitely a bit of a, yeah, it's a little bit of callback to Psycho too, where it's like you know the 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 psychotic son is uh, you know partially psychotic because of his mother. So, um, right, yeah. So my number five is Friday Thirteenth and Friday Thirteenth Part Two. What do you have for your number five? Mine is An Iron on Street Three Dream Warriors. Okay. I absolutely love I absolutely love the original, but to me, this is when Freddy becomes Freddy. Mm-hmm. Freddy Krueger, he becomes he gets more sarcastic. His kills are a little more creative. Yeah. Uh, his and he actually haunts dreams to the point where he's jumping around to the children. You know, he did in the original, like you know Johnny Depp and, and uh, Tina. You know, the, yeah. Those they all they all got theirs, but. This one, we got to see him playing with them. You know, he was messing with mm-hmm. the kids, like toying with them, a little cat and mouse game, and then he'd do what he can to finish them off. And yeah. I thought the kills are creative. The, uh, just, oh man, I can't, like, like the vein, the puppetry with the veins, walk the kids, you know, and, and of course it takes place in the, in like, kind of a mental ward yeah. of all these kids they're dreaming of Freddy, and they all have their own issues, and and, uh, and he just goes there, and he's it's just under attack. It's you know the place is under attack by Freddy, mm-hmm. and it, it's just things get more creative. He gets more sarcastic. Uh, it, it, you know, like welcome to time, prime time, which mm-hmm. you know that little the one liners that, that Freddy's known for. Because he wasn't doing that into he was he he sort of was a little upbeat a little bit in the first one, but he was more straightforward. Yeah. I'm a killer. I'm, you know, I'm going to get you. But, and that's, I picked three because obviously it's, it's one of my favorites. You can't have three without one, but, but mm-hmm. three is, to me, it's, it's the best one. Yeah. And that's why I have it 
my par five. Um, yeah, I mean that, that is. Yeah, that that is definitely uh, that. I mean that is definitely always been one of the high water marks of uh, the Nightmare franchise, certainly. And I mean, why when, when I saw it several years ago for the first time, I really liked it as well. I definitely see why people uh, hold in such high regard. Uh, it's one of the few one of the few ones that has Wes Craven on it. And it was written by Darabont, right? Frank Darabont? Um, I believe it was. I think yeah, you're I right. think he I think he co-wrote it, or at least. So um yeah, Dream Wars is definitely I mean, I think that's one that part of the reason that I think that one works as well as it does is it really helps it it really takes advantage of what makes Freddy so unique among the uh slashers um and the fact that he inhabits your dreams and the fact that he uh the the fact that that's how he uh gets at you i think that's one of the things that makes him so unique is uh and one of the reasons why dream warriors works as well as it does yeah it's a it's a coming of age tale for freddy he finds himself Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) but yeah yeah that's that's one of the that's the freddy i enjoy the sarcastic one-liners, the you know, the toying with them, you know, I absolutely love that. That's the Freddy Krueger that I love. That's the Freddy Krueger that I want. Maybe that's why um, the Nightmare film kind of flat with me. You know, mm-hmm. the, the new Freddy was straight up serious and yeah. more evil than ever. Yeah, I mean that's, that's my that's, number five. Yeah, that's perfectly fair. So yeah, your number five is Fred Nightmare on Elm Street Dream Warrior. Uh, my number four is uh, Roger Corman's The Mask of the Red Death based on the uh, short, based on a couple of short stories by Edgar Allan Poe. Obviously, Mask of the Red Death is the big one. Um, and it's Vincent Price as uh, Prince Prospero. And the uh, Red Death is set in uh, basically the Dark Ages. Uh, one of the things that I love about this movie is I, I love the theatricality. I love Vincent Price's performance. I love the color scheme that uh, Corman incorporates in this film. It's from 1964. And uh, I, I love that it's... It's... It, it's in, it, in a way, it's comparable to the uh, Hammer films and the way that they approached uh, the horror genre. It's very theatrical, very... Uh, sort of operatic and uh in the way it uh comes at horror and i mean i think that's one of the things i like most about a corman's film apart from the fact that uh vincent price is just absolutely fantastic oh yeah i I love vincent price in that one Mm I'm a huge Price fan. I know it doesn't. He almost made the list, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I almost went with uh, his version of uh, "I Am Legend," the last man, the last man on earth. Yeah, that's my favorite Price movie. But okay. "Mask of the Red Death" is you know, absolutely. Uh, I, I couldn't agree with him more. It's 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 phenomenal. And for for its time, it was it was. Uh, it, it should have been a horror, a hammer film. It should yeah. have been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's, the fact- that's what I was going to actually. You, you threw me off because I was like, "Oh, 
I know what I was gonna say. I'm, I'm gonna tell him how you know it's it feels like it should have been a hammer throw, but then he already hit on that mark. So. <laughs> he took away my he took away my comments, man. <laughs> well, and it's yeah. funny because of the fact that it's like it doesn't it does feel like a hammer film. It doesn't really think feel like what we look at as a Roger Corman film. I mean, Roger Corman's right. known for more low budget exploitative. Uh, films and fodder and the fact that he made something that is feels this um that's this stylized and this uh big is yeah, surprising it feels, it feels like it came yeah, a whole nother level of his of his skills like he can he's proven he can do that but he also proves that he doesn't need to yeah. which is kind of sad yeah, but he's. I, I'm okay. But didn't he direct a couple of uh, Hammer films himself? I don't know about I, that. I, I mean, think, I know this was made in England, but wasn't made with Hammer. I, I know. I, I'm pretty sure he made a couple uh, couple films with Hammer. It's towards the end of the Hammer Studios. Oh, okay. Like, towards the. I'm pretty sure we have to. I'll have to double check that so I don't sound like an idiot on here. <laughs> listen to the listen to us back years later and be like, "Oh, you moron!" <laughs> <laughs> Yelling at myself. So my number four is yep. The Mask of the Red Death. And what is your number four? My number four comes from 2004. See, mine's more like, and I feel bad because mine are more mainstream and people who are like, you know, horror sounds, they're like, you can't have mainstream movies. You're, you're not mm -hmm. true horror fans. I've gotten, in, I've gotten into these, these like headbanging arguments over <laughs> what makes good horror. Yeah. There's some people that are like, it's not independent, it's not horror, you know, like, whatever anyway so mine comes from england it was a, a huge surprise and it was a huge success and it's a horror comedy have you guessed it yet sean of the dead you got it yeah sean of the dead <laughs> uh this movie it, it came out in 2004 in england we didn't get it till 2005 no we got uh, it in 2000 I, it like, I saw it in 2004 in the i saw it in 2004 it may have come out in 2003 in England, but no, we got it in 2004 because I remember watching it in theaters in 2004. Are you sure? Yeah. I don't know. No, I... I yeah, I know for my, my, a fact I watched it in 2004. Um, man, I kind of want to look it up now. <laughs> okay. My history of this movie is, I, I heard rumblings about it. Yeah, it's, it came out in 2004 um, in England. I don't know when when it came out here in the States. Now, it might have been earlier in 2004. They probably did get it a bit earlier than we did, but I know I saw it in 2004. Okay. So. Uh, well, anyway, uh, I had... I heard about it, the rumblings on the internet. I, I, I believe it was an article in St. Gloria magazine as well. Mm -hmm. Movies we need to pay attention to. Foreign movies we need to pay attention to. And Shaun the Dead was on there. Yeah. And back in that day, and back in those days, we didn't have cable, we didn't have but what we had. And I, quote unquote, downloaded it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Illegal me as I'm supporting. But I did. I have bought like many copies for my friends yeah. and stuff. So I think. <laughs> uh, but uh, I downloaded it before it was here in the states. Before we got a release date, mm -hmm. I, uh, I downloaded it 
and I watched it, and I fell in love with it. Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't believe how good the movie was. And I watched it by myself, and then my roommate came home, and I said, you need to watch this. And we sat down, and we watched it again. So within, like, five hours, I'd seen it twice. Yeah. My other roommate come, comes home about two or three years, two or three hours later, <laughs> and we watched it again with him. Mm-hmm. Like my other, my second, the second roommate watched it with my third roommate and I. So he'd seen it twice, and then I saw it three times within like an eight-hour period, and it was just, it, it's so phenomenal. And had, and then randomly we had we had watched it, we loved it, and then we let forgot about it. And randomly there was a there was a commercial on TV that was coming to theaters mm-hmm. here in the states. So it was like between the time it was released in England to the time here. Unless I'm absolutely remembering wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is, it was there was a time where I saw it and then it came here to the states mm-hmm. in theaters, and I was shocked. I shocked that I was shocked that it was in theaters because I figured it'd be just a, a David Hewitt movie. Yeah, because most most foreign horror is just a straight to DVD. Yeah, which I really I quick. I have a hard time considering English British uh, films foreign horror. But I mean, I, it, 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 I mean that's that's accurate. But at the same time, they're still speaking English, so it's like that's 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 uh, that that's why I have a hard time for it. But the fact of better is, it's like I have no problem with the fact that it's like we're because we're covering a lot of ground as far as a lot of different types of horror movies here, and that's one of the things I like about, it, and that's part of the reason why I wanted to do this because we really, I, I'm really surprised that we haven't overlapped i mean i am surprised that we haven't but i'm also kind of not surprised that we haven't because you have a bit more uh you have a bit more depth with the uh horror genre than i do and uh i i love the fact that you have Shaun of the death dead on here it's like it would it would definitely be in my top 15 i absolutely love it yeah, I saw it in theaters uh, when it came out, and I just absolutely laughed my ass off during it. And I mean, it was af- it was funny because of the fact that it was after twenty. 20- I had seen Night of the Living Dead. I had seen uh, some of Romero's other or zombie films by this point, but I had also seen Twenty Eight Days Later, and I had already I had also seen Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake. And those two films, I mean, you. You see the evolution of uh, zombies towards more of the rage zombies than the uh, slow-moving ones of uh, Romero's uh, dead movies, and so right. I and so I I love I love the fact that it's like this came about at a time where zombies in cinema were changing, and it's like the fact that this came out at that time is one of those things that's really interesting, but the fact of the matter is it's like Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg and uh, Nick Frost. Just it, it's such a good film. It's such a fantastic film. I mean, you can tell that they have real love and affection for what Romero does and they just have real affection for the genre as well. And it's like, yes, this is absolutely one. It's a comedy slash parody, but at the same time, it's also a really it's also a really good zombie movie. Yes, it's um, yeah. There, there were absolute fans of Romero to the point that he put him in Land of the Dead. Yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember their cameo in that? 
No, I forgot that they were. I forgot he had cameo. They cameoed in Land of the Dead. Yeah, there were zombies on the wall that people were taking pictures of. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I absolutely I fell in love with that movie, and I would say probably the first three years after it came out, I I, I think I crossed the either the the fifty or the sixty times watching it mark. Oh wow! Like I, I guess the yeah. point is I couldn't stop watching that movie. And I'm like, I want more. And then I discovered space. And <laughs> like, I love that. And I, I watched that to death. Yeah. I consumed, consumed, consumed anything Edgar Wright and Simon Pitt. And then they came out with Hot Fuzz in 2006. And I, I saw that in theaters. I, I couldn't, I could not, not see it in theaters. Mm. You know, here comes the guys again. He was talking to dead guys. Oh my God, here we go. And I absolutely adored that, and I loved that, and I wound up watching that until it was like the DVD was like starting to skip <laughs> because I'd seen it so much. And then you know, like I, I just everything they did, everything they still do, I'm still like, oh, yeah. what's Edgar Wright doing? Oh, cool! <laughs> like that's awesome. Like I would love to, to have seen his uh, Ant Man. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, um, but yeah, I, I could I could not. Shaun of the Dead is probably one of my. It's probably in the top ten of my favorite. Like. Maybe top ten or twenty of my all time favorite yeah. movies. Yeah. And rightfully so, because it's just such a fun movie. And it is it you know, there it is probably my favorite Edgar Wright film. I mean, just because of the fact that it's it was it was the first one I had seen I mean, well, it was his first feature, I think. And it just it works so well doing what it does. Right. And uh and also I mean I mean uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Keep interrupting me. No, it's fine. Go ahead. I'm just excited about Shaun of the Dead. Um, but it may have also like rang a huge bell with me, and I connected with it because I got the references. Yeah. You know, I understood like, oh, that's from that's from Dawn of the Dead. That's from Night Living Dead. Like, we're coming to get you, Barbara. Uh, yeah. Or even when even when he's talking to Pete upstairs in the bathroom, when we know Pete is dead, he's just kind of you know sheepishly mm-hmm. talking to him. And he's all like, you're welcome to join us. You know, and I'm like, Evil Dead. He said, join us. It's an Evil Dead wrestle. You know, so, uh, you know, so that's probably where it also why it rang true with me. Yeah. Because I I was getting the jokes. Mm-hmm. I was getting the references. But I was also enjoying the, the fun that they were having. And it, it seemed like they were having a hell of a lot of fun on that set. Okay. It just, I think it just comes off that way with the actors. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, before you ever we... Know what no, I actually... I hadn't actually uh, paid attention to any of those references. Now I need to go back and watch it just to see those references. Um, see if you can pull them. Yeah. So uh, before, we, before we get to our respective uh, top three films in the horror, you, you, you do have a... Uh, you do have a correction on the release dates or you have official... Commentary on the release dates for Shaun of the Dead, which was your number four. I do. The uh, UK release was April 9th of 2004. Okay. The United the United States release was September 24th of 2004. Okay. So yeah, I did. I didn't see it um, like long like long before it came out uh, here in the states, but it wasn't as long as I remembered. Okay. So it was false. So I stand corrected. I was wrong. You were right. <laughs> I was wrong. You were right. That's okay. 
That's okay, because, I mean, I, I didn't even think about the fact... I mean, it makes sense that it came out in the UK before it came out in the United States. But, uh, yeah, I, yeah I, just, I, I just don't even... I just didn't even necessarily think about the fact that it came out in the UK first. But I knew that it came out in 2004 uh, in the US because I remembered watching it at that point. Okay. Um, I, so can't remember, you, I can't remember if it was... Like, I honestly thought it was, like, early 2005. So yeah. I was only off by, like... Half a year. <laughs> no, I mean four months. I mean not not too bad. Um, three four months. Uh, okay. So my number four was Roger Corman's Mask of the Red Death, and yours was Shaun of the Dead. So my number three is F. W. Murnau's Nosferatu from nineteen twenty two. Is the uh, his famous uh, unauthorized adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula uh, has Max Schreck as uh, Count Orlock, and uh, it is it's it's about as definitive uh, definitively great a horror movie as I think has ever been produced. I mean, we've we've talked about silent films uh, before on here. I've mentioned uh, Haxon. We talked about cabinet of dr calgary uh nosferatu is the other uh pillar of uh the horror genre when it comes to silent cinema and uh just the way murnau uh create the the way murnau uh designed uh max Schreck's character the the way it the way it brings the uh Bram Stoker's story to life. It is just absolutely haunting. Um, I've watched it with several different uh, scores over the years. Um, I The DVD I have has both an organ score as well as a contemporary music score. Uh, I I used to think the organ one was better, but I do tend to go to the contemporary one more often than not, but both of them are very good. And uh, there's... Not whole, and if you've ever seen, if you haven't seen, I recommend seeing a uh, Shadow of the Vampire, which is a uh, drama about uh, the making of Nosferatu, which poses the theory that uh, Max Schreck was actually a vampire, and Max Schreck in that movie is played by uh, the wonderful oh, and uh, yeah, yeah. So I I think I had seen I don't think I had seen Nosferatu before I saw Sh- Shadow of the Vampire. I think I actually blind bought Nosferatu. It was because of Shadow the the fact that I liked Shadow of the Vampire is the reason I blind bought it because a I couldn't really find it for rent, but b I just wanted to have it because it, Shadow of the Empire or Shadow of the Vampire uh, just piqued my interest so much. I, I like them both. I'm with you. Uh, and you absolutely, you know, being being a score guy, and I enjoy scores myself. Um, and I lean more towards the, the horror scores or Western Western scores. But, um, yeah, the, the Nosferatu is it's a must-see. If, if you like vampires or you like the, the story that, you know, of the vampires, like, you know, like you said, Bram Stoker's Dracula was the, the, the obviously the inspiration behind it. But, uh, you, you, you need to check it out, and I know some people they don't like silent films, but you know, or they, you know, even 
I even know people that won't watch black and white films. Like they won't watch yeah. clerks because it's in black and white. It's like stop stop being That's ridiculous weird. right there. <laughs> <laughs> like I mean I can, right? like I can I mean I still can't understand not watching black and white films at all. But I mean I, I can't really like I, I can't imagine why anybody would object to watching Clerks because of the fact that it's in black and white. It's like, it's not 50, 40s or 50s black and white. It's contemporary, but... Right. <laughs> no, I mean... But, the, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's odd. People, people's like, personal tastes are, are a little bit off. You know? Obviously, yeah. if you don't share that same... Mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, that same... Like, silent films, when people are like... I've had people come to me and like ask me for uh, about silent films, and I'll say, check out Joan of Arc, check out Metropolis, check out, uh, you know, now I say the, the cabinet of Caligari, uh, Dr. Caligari, and Nosferatu is always on that list. Yeah. It's <clears throat> it's stunning. I missed an opportunity. Um, I've never, I don't think I've ever watched a version that didn't have the organ music. Yeah. Uh, but I missed an opportunity at a, a local theater up here, um, they once had a live orchestra, like sort of live orchestra. It was probably like more of a 10 piece uh, or less than 10 piece uh, yeah. set up. Uh, they, they played the music along with the Nosferatu film on the screen. Okay. And I really wanted to, I really wanted to go see that and I missed, I missed out on it. So they probably played the more contemporary score. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, the, but I've never watched it without the organ. Mm-hmm. The organ uh, accompaniment because I've only seen it on VHS. Okay. You know, uh, and I think it was even like a copy of a copy of a copy. <laughs> but I enjoyed it. I, I, you know, it had those lines in it, and it had those moments where the the, the sounds kind of, you know, whoop, you know, has those little moments. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. <laughs> but I I I do I I, I love I love that. Nosferatu, that little Nosferatu film that <laughs> Yeah, have you ever seen? Uh, have you ever seen Werner Herzog's uh, remake of Nosferatu with uh, Klaus Kinski? I haven't. It's it's actually it was something they did in the uh, late seventies, and it's really interesting. I've only I've only seen it once, but I mean, he actually filmed on a lot of the same uh, locations as Murnau for. Uh, Nosferatu. I mean, the idea of Klaus Kinski playing that particular version of uh, Dracula just alone makes it worthwhile because of the fact that he's such he he's such he was such a uh, crazy actor. But uh, a little yeah, bit of it's, a yeah, it's it's uh, it's really it's really quite uh, cool to watch that movie. That's that's interesting. The uh, I like uh, Herzog. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't really have a, an opinion of, uh, of uh, Klaus Kinski because I think the only movie I've ever watched with him in it might be uh, uh, Fitzgeraldo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Aguirre is another one. Which Aguirre was the one was one they did uh, in the seventies together. And yeah, that's a that's an amazing movie. Fitzgeraldo is a terrific movie as well. Uh, but yeah, I right. mean, Aguirre was kind of like. It it's very much a spirit as Roger Ebert uh mentioned, I think. Uh Aguirre is kind of a spiritual brother to Fitzcarraldo too. So I mean, I would definitely recommend trying to check out Aguirre, Wrath of God, uh, as well. Um, if you're a fan of Fitzcarraldo. Um 
but yeah uh yeah i mean it's i i haven't seen herzog's uh nosferatu in a long time but i definitely want to but uh yeah i mean it and i definitely want to see it again it just it's it's really something else to watch him like adapt like it's not even dracula it's obvious it's nosferatu and it's like that's actually that's part of the reason it's so good is because of the fact that it's it's not adapting the Dracula that you know. And uh that's one of the things I really like about it. Is it is it a silent film? Oh no, it's, it, it's 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 uh, it's contemporary. I mean it, contemporary for nineteen seventy nine. It's uh subtitled. It's foreign language film because okay. it was made in Germany. So uh German, yeah, yeah, it was it was during his uh German phase. So yeah, it's subtitled. Excellent. I'll I'll definitely be on the lookout for it. Okay. Maybe I should revisit Zog some more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean I'm he he's actually going to be uh he's yeah, Herzog's actually gonna be uh my bookend filmmaker for this coming year of the uh movie week series on Sonic Cinema. So I'm and it occurred to me that the reason I chose him was because of the fact that it occurred to me just how little I've really been re watching or watching some of his movies uh for that series and so it's like i really need to watch his movies on a regular basis because there are so many i still haven't seen both his features and his documentaries um and uh one of my favorites one of my favorites of his i don't know if you've seen is uh, even dwarves started small no i still haven't seen that one uh i've heard uh, a friend of my another friend of mine is a huge herzog fan so he he's seen uh I know he's seen that one. I think he's seen like most of his other uh narrative films at least. So Right. Yeah, so my number Excellent. three is FW Murnau's uh Nosferatu. What do you have for your number three? Mine is a duel. Two movies that they, they go together and whenever I when I whenever I start to watch one, I have to watch the other. Mm-hmm. And I usually go in I go in order, just like uh, you do with the Friday 13th, one or two. Mine is from 2003 and 2005, respectively, Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects. Okay. These movies these movies blew me away. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of classic horror. And in the early 2000s, the, the whole Scream uprising, mm-hmm. you know, the, the revolution, uh, it was over. Yeah. Um, the horror was kind of... Again, starting to find its, trying to find its uh, voice again, and it, it it went towards more supernatural, dark movies. Yeah. Uh, but I want, I craved like the old days. I hate to say it because I was like 21, but I was craving mm-hmm. the the days of, like when I was a kid. And I'd watch all these movies from the 70s and 80s, and this it, you know, Ross Levin courses, and they're both movies are filmed in two different styles. Yeah. which I really, I really like, like about that. Now we switched up the styles of filmmaking between the two movies. Uh, the first one is his letter to 70s horror. Mm-hmm. You can definitely tell his influences, you know, from when he was growing up. You know, he, he threw out all the, you know, all his the favorite tropes, so to speak, of, of the, the 70s genre films. And... It, to me, uh, I, we had to search for it again. It was another one of those movies that wasn't getting a wide release in 2003, and we got lucky again. It came came to a local one of the local theaters, so we had to make a little bit of a drive. Mm-hmm. But we we drove, we paid our money, we, we ate our popcorn, 
and uh, I was blown away by the movie. As soon as it hit DVD, I was I was ready to. Uh, I had my money at Best Buy waiting for it to open up. <laughs> Take my money. I want my copy, and I still have that copy today. Yeah. Uh, which I'm, you know, I, I'm happy to say I still have that. And then, then when I heard, you know, The Devil's Rejects is coming out, which is, you know, I was like, oh, cool, he made another movie, The Devil's Rejects. And everybody's like, no, it's a direct sequel to House of Corpses. Yeah. And I was like, what? I had to go see it. <laughs> so I was there opening night. And whenever I go to watch House of Corpses, I, I can't <laughs> just stop and move, move on with my life for now. I have to spend the next, like, hour, half, hour, and 40 watching Devil's Rejects. Right. They're, they're so compliment, complimentary to one another, just like like you said with Friday the 13th, 1 and 2. They're, it's just, they go together well, even though they're too stylized. Like, this, um, Devil's Rejects is gritty. It's dark. It's dirty. Mm-hmm. Not like dirty, dirty, but, you know, like not adult film dirty, but it's grimy, and it's it's more seriously dark, and it's it's a beautiful film, especially the last, the last like, 10 minutes. It's just, it's a beautiful. It's a little bit like poetry. Excuse me, a little bit like poetry. Mm-hmm. And I can't. The the Captain Spaulding character, Sid Haig, became a household name. Yeah. When it comes to whole fans, he you know he he's been in like two hundred things, but uh, he he was never at the forefront of of fans. Fans didn't know his name. They're like, oh, it's that guy. Yeah. Oh, hey, here's that guy again. There's that guy. Mm-hmm. And then everybody knows now it's it's Sid Haig and yeah. And then he, he just started on Instagram. If anybody cares, it's Sid Haig's <laughs> on Instagram. And he the stuff he shares is is so fascinating because I, I love history, especially cinematic history. And he he posts a picture from like a movie he did in like the late sixties or early seventies or eighties, and he just you know he just talks about his experience on that film. And I'm like, man. I would love to hear everything this guy has to say about his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I became, I became a huge Sid Haig fan too. And, um, and of course Rob Zombie, like, you know, I was like, what, what can he do next? And he did, he blew me, blew me away with, with, uh, Devil's Rejects. And yeah, I, I can't, another movie I can't say that, uh, will never, it'll probably be, uh, forever on my top 10. Mm-hmm. There would have to be a slew, a huge slew of amazing <laughs> movies to, come out to knock that out of the top ten. Yeah. Both of them. And I, I consider them, although the two movies, to me, they're one. Well, and I know it's we... just part one of Yeah, and I know we meant... I, I mentioned it when you were uh, talking about Lords of Salem uh, earlier. I was not a fan of House of Thousand Corpses when I first saw it in 2003, but I, I think because of the fact that I've heard so much good about Devil's Rejects, I do want to go back and at least watch those two, and now I'm going to watch, make, try and make sure I watch Lords of Salem as well. And uh, just to give House of a Thousand Corpses another chance, just because of the fact that because my knowledge of the genre, because my appreciation of the genre is uh, greater than it was when I saw it in, 2003 i have a feeling i'll probably appreciate it more and so i'm i'm definitely curious to uh re to rewatch house of a thousand corpses as well as watching uh devil's rejects as well so i mean that that is something i'm going to revisit at some point so uh if, if you when you watch the thousand corpses uh look at it as more of uh it's a love letter to two seventies horror Okay. Uh, and 
you can you can tell the love that he has for that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm sure you've seen enough horror from the seventies too that you get you get what he's going for. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I think, I think... If, you, if you watch it as more of like, oh, this is a murder fest that just yeah. happens to be placed in the seventies, then it's like I can understand that you don't someone wouldn't like not you in particular, but somebody wouldn't be that caring for it. But because I know I knew of Rob Zombie's like love for seventies horror, even going into it, I uh I, I, I probably that's probably one of the reasons why I found it so compelling to me. Yeah, and it was what I was looking for. I was I really was looking for something exactly like that when you know awful like vampire movies and stuff were coming out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean we we'd start they'd started to remake Japanese horror by this point, and uh, with The Ring and uh, then Juon turning into The Grudge. And then uh, the next, and then actually, same year's House of a Thousand Corpses was that god awful Texas Chainsaw remake uh, produced by Michael Bay, which was just appalling. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, so it was it was another case, you know, like we were talking about with Scream, where it's like horror really didn't have a strong identity, like the. The, the scream phase had kind of ended, and so it's like, what was going to be the next identity for horror yes. genre, for genre fans? I mean, it doesn't surprise me, knowing the fan base uh, zombies films have, at least, especially those two, it doesn't surprise me that those two stood out ahead of the crowd. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, it is something I'm going to it is something I'm going to definitely revisit. And I actually may, now that you've mentioned uh, Sid Haig being on Instagram, I may very well go uh, follow him myself because yeah, that's not, that's, that's one of the things, it's a type of thing that I like about um, when somebody like that does Instagram. I, you know, the idea of, you know, sort of telling both your personal life story as well as, film history on uh, Instagram, especially through images, is just fascinating. So yeah, I may very well go uh, start following uh, Sid Haig on Instagram because of that. Yeah, do it. And he also gets more personal, too. Uh, on November 1st, he posted a picture of his wedding photo of him and his wife uh, from their wedding, and he just celebrated 10 years of marriage with his, his current wife. So, you know, it's, you know he, does, he gets a little personal, too. Yeah. And I believe I totally believe it's him because you know when you, you can tell when a celebrity has a representative that's doing their social media, yeah, everything's like it, it doesn't seem personal. And, but mm-hmm. when when it's when the words are there and you read it, you can feel like there's feeling here. There's there's attachment to this photo. So yeah, yeah. Do, do you social and everybody who's listening go go follow Sid Haig on Instagram. Like it's it's fun. It's he it, it, it posts some good stuff. Yeah, I'll definitely be doing that. Okay, so number three for you was uh, House of Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects. That brings us to number two. And for me... Number two. Uh-huh. For me, number two is... Uh, from 1942, it is Jacques Teneur's Cat People. It is the first production by uh, Val Luton in his uh, famous deal and famous run of... Supernatural thrillers with RKO in the 1940s. 
Um, this film was notoriously made for next to no budget. It was one of the highest grossing movies of the year, though. It is about a uh, young woman who falls in love with a uh, a young woman from Serbia who falls in love with a a uh, an architect, but and they get married, but she is cons- she is concerned about consummating the marriage because she does not. There's a uh, there's an old tale of. Uh, Turning into a uh, an actual cat, and uh, it's made primarily out of shadows. It's a very B movie story, but the uh, but the atmosphere and the sensuality of uh, the star Simone Simon Simon Simone uh, is just absolutely uh, mesmerizing. It is uh, 75 years old this year. It's the first of uh, Val Luton's productions of uh, supernatural thrillers that include I Walked with a Zombie, The Curse of the Cat People, um, Bedlam with Boris Karloff, um, what else? Isle of the Dead. And if if you're a horror fan and you haven't seen Val Luton's films, I highly recommend... uh, tracking down the box set or you can run through Netflix I'm sure uh at least discs but I know the the uh DVD the box set is available it's well worth it's well worth picking up if you can find that box set it's got all of the movies in there it's got some documentaries commentaries interviews and it's uh cat people was something it's very short 73 minutes uh criterion actually re- just released as well um and it's just it's one of the things that I really like about horror and one of my favorite types of horror which is uh supernatural but more based around but it's atmospheric as opposed to uh visceral horror i mean i i like i enjoy a good slasher film i enjoy a good uh horror film with uh blood and guts but um supernatural thrillers atmospheric Thrillers are definitely the things that resonate with me the most. And uh, Cat People was one of the uh, best examples of that. Excellent. I, I agree. I, I enjoy uh, Cat People stuff. I haven't, um, I haven't, I, I probably should pick up that box set because I probably have only seen Cat People from now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and The Curse of the Cat People, it's interesting. I reviewed that for uh, Movie Week for Sonic Cinema this month. And it's interesting because of the fact that Curse of the Cat People, that that was basically a studio imposed title. Uh, it really, it's it's as it's very much a sequel to the movie, but doesn't have the same. It doesn't have the same focus on that particular issue that a uh, Simon Simone's uh, character has in the original film, but. It focuses on her uh, husband, who has remarried, and uh, their daughter. And it it's really interesting because of the fact that it made me really think that I wonder, and it's from the same writer of the original Cat People, but the focus in, there's common thematic material, but it's not the type of material that you expect. Um... And so that sequel was very, it, it's very interesting to watch those 
two films and see it's like there's some things in common without not just story wise but uh there there's some common thematic issues at part two even if it's not what you think based on the title okay but yeah i mean val luton's uh val luton's uh productions are definitely worth checking out for uh horror fans especially even especially if you're a fan of uh supernatural thrillers and i mean there are some names you're definitely going to recognize in uh that list too robert wise who was an editor and edited Susan kane before that he his first two films uh came from val luton's collection uh and boris karloff is in one or two of the films and uh yeah it's it's just a really it's it's a really nice uh collection of uh old school horror and that's that's one of the things that i really like about it. excellent so my number two is cat people and marv was your number two your listeners are gonna love this because it's gonna go by quick my number two is friday 13th one and two for the same reasons you said <laughs> moving on <laughs> I, no I'm... it's uh no go ahead we finally overlapped we yeah. finally overlapped we finally hit on hit on one mm-hmm. yeah it's, i mean uh, the there's 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 a lot you can say about the Friday Thirteenth franchise in general uh, after the first two, but yeah, I mean the the first two, I mean it it makes sense that you put one and two together because of the fact that they they basically follow a very direct narrative loop. Um, yeah, same with the like Devil's Rejects and House of Horses. It's yeah, it's the same. It's the same reasons. They it's one like when you watch them together, it's one full tale yeah it's, a, it's one solid story and i almost added three but i couldn't do it because it's so cheese ball but yeah i you know it was three it's filmed in 3d so they yeah. have like yo-yos coming and juggling <laughs> and you know all that garbage uh but cheap but the reason why i was going to add three is because that is you know the character shelly brings a bunch of stuff with him mm-hmm. to, to the house the cabin and or actually, I, think, I believe it was, yeah, it was just a farmhouse uh, in part two or part three. Um, but uh, he brings a hockey mask. Yeah. And that's when Jace, Jason puts on the iconic mask for the first time mm-hmm. in part three. So that was the, pretty much the only reason why I wanted to add part three, but I backed <laughs> out because it's not the best in the series. No. No, I I watched it again. I mean, you you comment on it. And I mean, you you know that I watched the uh, third one again for like the first time in thirty years, and it's like, yeah, it is so cheesy, is so completely predictable. I mean, yes, he gets the hockey mask in, and that's the first uh, time he does like that. Much. But yeah, so much of it is just in the I, the character like in the beginning if you if you see in the beginning he's like i brought everything i have in the world or whatever in that in that bag <laughs> everything everything to, and how much like that was that no that, that little bag it was like a cartoon it was like hermione's bag in like yeah. the, the deathly hollows uh like it seriously like he had like what like five <laughs> different masks he had a, a wetsuit like booby gear he had like a harpoon gun you know mm-hmm. it's like what yeah. Where's he getting all his guts? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I almost added three because, because of the iconic moment where he wears the hockey mask for the first time. Mm-hmm. And and for me, pound for pound, Jason Voorhees is my monster of choice. Mm-hmm. Like if if they're like, what who's your favorite slasher? Freddie, Jason, Leatherface, Michael Myers, you know, Pinhead, all of them. It 
Jason Voorhees without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I, you know, and the funny thing is, it's like deep down, I think I give this slight, I, I think intellectually speaking, I would give the slight edge to Freddy just because of the fact that it's such a cool, it, it's such a cool uh, idea. Just the idea of somebody who can only, who can kill you in your dreams. I mean, that's, that in itself is just downright terrifying. But I mean, I think deep down in my heart of hearts, I probably prefer Jason. I mean, for no other reason than, I mean, it's it's fun to watch him dispatch people. And, I mean, right. that was that was a franchise that I gravitated for, towards uh, growing up. I watched, like, the first uh, six when I was a kid. And, um, you know, I, I, I just enjoy that <laughs> franchise so much. Are you are you telling me that you're going now, sweetie? Is that Haynes? No, that that would be my wife, Meredith. Why would I call Ron oh. sweetie? Why would I call I didn't Ron hear what sweetie? You called. Yeah. Hey, I didn't hear what you I didn't hear what you called her. <laughs> yeah. all, I, all I heard is, is, is me going out and then No, that was that would be Meredith. That would be my wife, Meredith. Sorry, Meredith. Sorry, Meredith. <laughs> Bye. Drive safe. Oh wow, that's funny. I didn't hear. You, I didn't hear you call her sweet. <laughs> no, that's all right. That's that's okay. That was just funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that's that's not the first time she's walked in on me on a uh, podcast though. But uh, that's, one little damn That's that's okay. I mean, that one might actually that one might actually stay in because it's pretty funny. But uh, yeah, I mean, and Friday Thirteenth. But yeah, Friday Thirteenth was. Uh, I mean, that was my that was my franchise of choice, and it's like I finally watched the rest of it like later on in life. I think around the time the the uh, reboot came out, and uh, yeah, I mean, deep down, I think I I think just Jason is probably my favorite uh, slasher monster. And I mean, it's just because of the fact that it's it's fun to see. It's cool that he's got the hockey mask. That's just iconic. And then, plus, you, I think part of it is also because of the fact that the kids are so stupid in those movies. Like the, <laughs> I, I think like Jason. If I could find a way to justify putting Jason lives with one and two, I pr- would probably include that because that that is just such that is. Pr- probably that's probably one of my favorite uh my other that's probably my top 21st favorite horror movies just because of the fact that is so ridiculously funny and it's like just watch it's so intentionally funny and the way that they incorporate humor with that movie and they're they're very knowing of how ridiculous the movie is right I have a little bit of a personal connection too because Friday Thirteenth was my introduction to horror, and a lot of people when they, when they get introduced to horror, they're what like eight, nine, ten years old. Yeah, I was two. Oh wow, I was two years old. <laughs> uh, it, although it came out in 1980, it was still playing in our area in the Midwest here in 1981, which was not uncommon for movies to to play for a year or two. Oh yeah, even back yeah. then. They were still playing. Now it's like if it doesn't make money in the first like couple of weeks, they're out of there. You know, you know yeah. how it is. Uh, 
in the I was two years old, and I was highly intelligent for uh, intelligent for two. I learned my ABCs when I was at two. I could count to a hundred by the time I was three. Uh, I wanted my mom was like she was going to take me to a movie because my I guess my dad took my sister to see like Bambi or something, mm-hmm. and she or Lady Lady and the Tramp. My mom was going to take me to go see a movie, and I got to pick. Well, I was seeing like the the TV spots for Friday the Thirteenth, uh, and I wanted to see Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to see. I said I wanted to see like thirteen, thirteen. I think I kept calling thirteen or whatever. She's like, "All right, fine." And she's going to go back in. The parents just were like, they were a little more lax with like protecting their children. Yeah. And my mom took me, took me to see um, Friday the Thirteenth. I sat there, I guess, with my popcorn on one side of me, like tucked into the chair. I was sat there with like my feet, you know. On the chair, mm-hmm. you know, you know, just you know, pops to the or soda to one side, pops mm-hmm. to the other, and I sat there and I guess I just watched it and enjoyed it with a smile. And my mom thought I would grow up to be a killer, like a, a murderer, because I, I could sit there and watch horror movies with a <laughs> smile. Years old, and she was like one of the biggest supporters of my horror love. She would be like, "What do you want to see?" And I'd be like, "Well, I want to see you know, Jason Four. You know, yeah. so we went and saw like we saw the final chapter together in the theaters. We didn't go see Friday Thirteenth Part Three because I had just lost my eye and mm. I couldn't see three D. I, I couldn't I couldn't yeah. see three D anyway. So yeah. we we skipped that one. We missed Part Two, but we saw four and I believe we saw five together. Um, but yeah, and I I saw six as well. Uh, but they, so Friday Thirteenth was my introduction to horror. A little crazy kid, but I was never afraid of the dark, and I, I kind of attribute it to my love of horror and, and movies in general. And I got it, even at two, I got what movies were. And I think that's mm-hmm. why I've always been the head of caption. You know? Yeah, is I got these are people playing, you know, these people are just they're goofing off, yeah. having fun, killing each other, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I, I think I was never afraid of the dark. I would go out like when I was like six or seven, I'd wait for my mom to go to sleep because I lost my father. By time, you know, like when I was three, I lost my father. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd wait for my mom to go to sleep. And then I would sneak out in the woods at like one in the morning, two in the morning. And I would play like I was Jason or I would play like, like I was a camper that was being stalked by like Pamela Yeah. or, you know, like, yeah. like whatever, whatever the case may be, you know, and, and people are like, are stunned to find out. And I would dig holes in the backyard. <laughs> I pretend I was in the London fog after I just watched a bunch of like, Oh, you know, God. universal horror films or something. Or hammer <laughs> films. I would seriously, by moonlight, I'd be digging holes. My mom's like, my mom's, you know, never really found out until I was digging holes. She's oh, like, wow. someone's been, I don't have to call the So I'm going to have to call the cops because somebody's digging holes in my backyard. And I was like, no, 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 don't call, don't call. I'm like, what? And I'm like, it was me. And they're like, when'd you do that? And I was like, in the middle of the night. I was, I was pretending I was grave robbing. So if you ever watched Tim Burton's short film called Vincent, that was me. That was me in, on some some night. <laughs> so not a little weirdo. So Friday the 13th, thank you for making me a little weirdo. Okay, so we come <laughs> to the number one slot and uh, I, if if you know me, if you've uh, listened to the podcast, I mean, you, you I mean, Marv, you know me, you can probably guess this coming from a mile away. It's, it is it's Stanley gonna be Kubrick's Yeah, it is Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Uh, yes. Which is absolutely just I 
it was one of my earlier Kubrick films. I think I'd watched it for the first time at network and it, it had an impression on me, but it wasn't until I watched the uncut version. And then I just kept coming back to it and coming back to it. And I think a lot of the reason I came, kept coming back to it was because of that, uh, fantastic, uh, fly on the wall documentary of Vivian Kubrick, uh, made that was on the DVD. And so, uh, being able to see that, see Kubrick at work, um, really sort of, I watched that a lot and I would watch the movie a lot and it just, it, it casts a spell on me every time I watch it. It's the, the Overlook Hotel, um, the way that it works on a psychological level, the way it works on a supernatural level, and the fact that, and it, it's funny because of the fact that um, Ron actually came home from work on uh, Halloween while I was watching The Shining, and uh, he 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 came on, he came in at the sort of the halfway point. And uh, it was after uh, Wendy hits uh, Jack with a baseball bat and he gets uh, locked and she locks him in the uh, food, food locker. And when the, when Grady, quote unquote, opens up the door for him, Ron's like, I thought the, I thought it was supernatural. I thought the horror was supernatural. I thought it was ghosts. I didn't think it was... And he was confused by the fact that it's like he he was questioning the fact that how is Jack getting out? How is if it's supernatural, if it's if it's just ghosts or if it's him going crazy, how is he being let out? Then I thought it was all in his mind. OK, that's what I said. All right. Ron, obviously, I did. I kind of figured he had to uh, he had to chime in there. So yeah, he 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 thought it was all in his head. So it's like, how is he being let out? I mean, I know there's a theory about the fact that, well, maybe Danny lets him out, and but the thing is, it's like there's I I like the fact that there's The Shining works on several different levels. It works on psychological level, works on pure horror level, works on a uh, supernatural level. And it's it's one of those things. There's so many great things about it. There's the cinematography. There's the set of the Overlook Hotel. There's the music that Kubrick uses, um, both Wendy Carlos's uh, score as well as the classical pieces. And then there are the performances with Jack Nicholson and uh, Shelley Duvall and Danny Lloyd, Scatman Crothers. And everything just comes together in making that movie one of the creepiest damn movies ever. And just, I, I love, it's, it's, it's like a fun house of horrors for me. And it's been very inspirational for me over the years, watching it time and time again, as far as, as, as my appreciation for horror has grown. I, I adore that movie a lot. And it, it was going to make my list, but I knew you were, I didn't want to, I didn't want to bury your lead with your top. <laughs> I, I left it out on purpose. <laughs> but, but the fact I, of the matter is, you've got a pretty decent list here. So it's like, and again, I, I kind of figured we would have a lot of, uh, we wouldn't have a whole lot of overlap. So, and that's one of the things I liked because, liked because of the fact that 
we're talking about completely different movies and it's like we're you know with with very few exceptions and it's like and it's been really good that we've been able to say that most of the movies that are on one list I've also seen so it's like I can talk about it too so right same here uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of black and white the old school like universal horror and hammer and just mm-hmm. I just don't I, I feel more connected with the ones I grew up with and yeah. to be honest this this morning I got a new t-shirt and it's a shining t-shirt oh cool so <laughs> I got a bunch of them actually. They were uh, Halloween shirts that were on sale for like four bucks a piece, so I, I had to mm-hmm. had to grab them. Um, but yeah, the, the Shining for me. I didn't see the Shining until about ninety six or ninety seven. Okay. Uh, my because it was always one that I never got to and I always wanted to see. And people had told me like, oh, if you, if you like this, you're gonna like the Shining, or if you like that, you're gonna like the Shining. And I'm like, oh, cool. And you know, I'll check it out sometime. And I never did until my friends actually like they're like you've never seen The Shining you're you know you're you're a huge horror fan how can you not see The Shining <laughs> they actually said get out in the car come on and we got in the car we drove twenty minutes to Hollywood Video <laughs> and uh, with all the colors the lights and the excitement uh, and we rented The Shining and I, I sat down and watched it and I was blown away. Mm-hmm. And I took the tape because we we had it for like three days. Yeah. And I took the I took the tape with me, even though it was on their account. And I watched it like three more times over the next couple of days. <laughs> we all took it back. We took it back, and uh, and I, I wound up renting it again a couple more times throughout the years, and then or throughout the next couple of years. And then I finally bought it on uh, VHS mm-hmm. <laughs> back in like two thousand. Back in two thousand, we we're already starting to get in the DVD age. So I'm all like, I got a VHS tape, guys. You want to come over and watch it? <laughs> but uh, yeah, The Shining is a beautiful film. Have you seen Room Two Thirty Seven? I have. I mean, we've we've actually discussed it a little bit to a certain extent. I will admit, I I find it interesting. I find the theories behind it interesting. I I don't think it's something that should have been a feature film. I I think it's something that should have been like maybe a documentary that to go with the film or something for a podcast or something like that. I or just or even YouTube videos. Huh? Do like a twenty to thirty minute YouTube videos yeah, on each of the Exactly. Theory. Like I I Again, it's interesting that all of these people have these different ideas about it and stuff like that. It's so conspiratorial, though. It's like, I think that's one of the things where it's like, I don't put a whole lot of weight on it because of that. Because it's like, to a certain extent, you're reaching. I mean, I'll be the first to admit that it's like, with all of Kubrick's films, you can interpret a lot in them. And The right. Shining is no different. But, I mean, there's some real... I, I feel like there's a lot of stretches that are made in terms of... it. There are a lot of stretches being made in Room 237 as far as, like, what the underlying uh, ideas of the film mean. And it's like, I don't necessarily think that's anything... I don't think necessarily... Now, you know, yeah, I mean, Kubrick probably did have some of those things in his head when he was making it, but I don't think he deliberately, 
I think he was just trying to make a horror movie. I think he was just adapting what he wanted out of Stephen King's book and tur- turning it into a uh, a horror movie unlike really anything else. But, I mean, I'll I'll admit it's interesting. There's some, you know, it, I love the passion behind the ideas. I just don't necessarily I, I think there's some that might be might hew closer to reality than others, but yeah, I I think a lot yeah. of it is conspiratorial, and it's like yeah, I think it's a glorified share, YouTube video. <laughs> we 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 share the a very a very same opinion on it. When when I'm asked about it, I'm like, it's a fascinating documentary, and I know Kubrick was known for being a perfectionist. Yeah, but I don't think he. He was that much into detail upon this film, like with the the poster of the like the the skier or whatever. Yeah. Uh, how how it matches up with like whatever whatever else was in there. I don't know the theory exactly, but I'm like I don't think that was legit or like the Calumet. Uh, yeah. Was it baking soda? Yeah. Baking powder. Um, uh, the way the cans are positioned just right, and there's like Indian heads in it showing in another room on, on you know, the Native Americans. Sorry. Yeah. I'm half Indian, so I can say it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, there's, like, there's different pictures, and it's like, it's the, the, the Trail of Tears. It's referencing the, the whole movie as a reference on the, the plight of the Native American. And I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think that's, it's, cool. it's a fun theory. But it's fun to think about that deep into stuff, but. You know, at the end of the day, you got to be like, look at yourself and be like, how far are you going to dig this hole? Because they they had uh, you know studio time restraints and and, yeah. and things like that to deal with. So that, it takes a lot to be clever like that and make sure the shots are exactly correct. Well, and the thing you is, know, it's like design. with with like the Native, especially with the Native American stuff. It's like, yeah, it makes sense. There's a lot of Native American motifs and stuff like that. They say. Oh, I think it was built on an Indian burial ground, stuff like that. It's the West. It's supposed to be in Colorado. Of course, it's supposed. Yeah. To, of course, there's going to be Native American motifs. If you've been to Colorado, you know that. <laughs> but right. yeah, I mean, the idea that's you know the the way one of them ties into the fact that the famous conspiracy theory that Kubrick helped NASA, you know fake the moon, oh, the moon and stuff moon. like that. It's like, no, that's the way just... uh, Danny, The way Danny's playing with the, his toys and the, the way the carpet is. Yeah. Yeah, all that business. Yeah, I, yeah, I get it. Yeah. His, his sweater. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's like, no, you're pu- you're grasping at straws there. But, I mean, no, yeah, it, it's... It's it, fun. Yeah, it's interesting. It's fun to think about we that eating, but... Eh. Yeah. Leave it. <laughs> but uh no the shining is yeah i mean the the shining is my absolute number one i it would take sort of like with you with uh house of thousand corpses and devil's rejects it's like it would take basically a landmine of a horror movie to probably supplant it from my number one slot for me um it's it's that impactful for me as a as a film fan, as a as somebody who appreciates the genre, as somebody who's grown to appreciate the genre more than I do, more than I did when I was younger, and uh, yeah, I mean the The Shining is just very much a uh, one of a kind movie for me. So the same with my 
the same with my number one would it'll never it'll probably never be dropped off the list. Yeah. With and my number one is three, is three movies. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a feeling I know which one which three those are. But I, I'm sorry, my top say, everybody. I'm gonna apologize to everybody who's listening who thinks I'm I'm being cheap because I could have had trouble narrowing it down. My top three or seven movies. So, <laughs> um, it's almost a whole mini list in itself. Do you want? Do you want to shout out? And see if you know which movies there. So you said three movies, right? Yes, nineteen eighty-one, okay. eighty-seven, and ninety-two. Yeah, I know exactly what this is. This is, and one of them <laughs> no. has already been on my list. So we are we are talking about the Evil Dead, Evil Dead Two, and Army of Darkness. Which honestly, Absolutely. this does not surprise me one bit. I kind of have <laughs> feeling, I kind of have feeling you would probably uh, put all three of these together because I, I had, I found it, like I, I found it, I was very, I would have been very surprised if you'd only put one of these films on there, uh, because I know oh, how really? much of a fan you are of the Evil Dead trilogy and Bruce Campbell and. Sam Raimi, and the thing is, it's completely legit. Legit, I completely get why you have these three films together. It's been years since it's been way too long since I've seen Army of Darkness. I need to see that again. Um, but all three of these films are just absolutely uh, just fantastic. I love the different ways that they deploy the horror genre. I love the different styles of horror that we get from all of them. And, I mean, you can't really go wrong with uh, Bruce Campbell's Ash as one of the iconic horror characters in movie history. And also, he's one of the, to me, it could be I'm a little bit biased, but he's one of the best cowards turned hero ever Mm -hmm. on cinema. In the first movie, he's he's just a scared, scared. Well, I think they're supposed to be like 21, 22, you know, yeah. about ready to leave college. But you know, like they're they're getting ready to party. He's just a scared young adult, you know, and and then he has to man up and and be and be the hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he gets to the point where he's he's sick of being the hero, which <laughs> uh, you know is you can't. Uh, you can't you can't see more of a metaphor that he's tired of it and 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 so you see army of darkness in the scene where he's getting back after he quote unquote gets the book <laughs> and uh and the there's a live procession he just wants to drink a water and there's a procession and he's like they're like oh, yeah hooray they're all cheering him and he's like yeah whatever get the fuck out of my face <laughs> and he shoves people out of the way it's like he's had enough man yeah but I I I can't get it and I and that's another one just like house. A Thousand Corsons and Double Rejects. If I'm watching them, I'm going to watch Evil Dead. I'm going to watch Evil Dead 2 and Army Darkness before I get up and do anything else. Oh, right. I'm worried about deviant thrombosis and blood clots and stuff sometimes when I'm on the book for Evil Dead. And now I, I saw the reboot. Yeah. And it's Some people call it a remake, but it's considered a reboot because Ash makes an appearance at the end yeah. of the credits. Yeah. So it ties in. It's in the same universe. And apparently there was... Uh, I don't know if it was a comic or if it was unreleased, uh, like outline or whatever for Ash versus it was like Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. Yeah, it was supposed to be a sequel. Yeah, and it was going to be Ash is going along, um, basically collecting Necronomicons around the world or whatever, and uh, which I thought I really wish this got made because in 
Jason goes to hell uh, when Craven, the the guy that's hunting Jason, he goes into Jason's place, his, you know, his house, his shelter, and he finds an Necronomicon. And, and Ash becomes like an S-Mart manager, and he's tasked to opening up the S-Mart that's opening in Crystal Lake. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's he's also under, you know, he's there to also find the book, to another Necronomicon and destroy it. You know, all the different Necronomicons around the world. And that's when he meets up with Jason and ultimately Freddy. And I'm okay. like, that is, would be incredible. I'm like, that would be incredible. Yeah, and it makes I, sense why it would tie all this together. Yeah, I remember hearing the rumors about the fact that it's like if they were to follow up Frey versus Jason, it would have been Frey versus Jason versus Ash and the rights, but they couldn't get the rights to all three characters. I think Raimi was the one who balked at it. Yeah, he was the and, whole And uh, it's like, damn it. I By that point, I had seen all three of the Evil Dead movies, and I absolutely loved them. And it's like, I like man, I so wanted to see that. And uh, yeah, imagine the, your description of it is like, yes, I absolutely want to see that. Imagine the banter between Freddie and Ash. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then, and then them, like, teaming up, making fun of Jason. You know, <laughs> you know it's just, just like a 90-second like moment in the film where they just kind of team up mocking the hell out of Jason. Oh, that is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... Yeah, but to, to finalize, uh, you know, I still have the Army Darkness shirt you guys... Uh, you know, awesomely got for me at uh, Dragon Con in 2012. Mm-hmm. I still, I still have it. I still wear it. It's full of holes, so it's <laughs> one of those that I wear around the house. You yeah. know, but I absolutely, I absolutely still love it. It's you know, I always, I'll always thank you guys for you know the gifts you got me from Dragon Con. Oh no problem, no problem. I mean, that was that was. I know Ron was the one uh, thinking about that, but yeah, I mean, we we both know how much you love uh all of the evil dead movies and it's like yeah i mean they they i i would never like i i i've always enjoyed evil dead i i love i i just appreciate the uh comedic uh i i just love the comedic take on evil dead 2 more um army of darkness like i said it's been way too long since i've seen it i need to see it again and uh yeah, I mean, I and I still need to get into Ash versus Evil Dead on Stars. Uh, we have the Stars out. I There's have, no reason I shouldn't be watching that at this point. Um, <laughs> I have uh, I have season one. Uh, I've completely watched season one. I bought season two before I started my fifty horror movies, so I haven't got to it yet because I don't have Stars. Okay. Excuse me. Yeah, we we have, um, we have the Stars app. Uh, Meredith has the Stars app for uh, some shows that she enjoys, and so it's like. I really need to watch Ash versus Evil Dead, so it's like, yeah, at some point I'll get to that myself. <laughs> but the, they're half an hour, and they are a full half hour. I'm you sorry? Know, like no commercials, it's just they're half hour long. The, the episode, okay, and they're a full they're a full half hour. Like there's no like yeah yeah you know, like well, it's, it's a half it's, hour show. Cable, but like so hours. yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, I, I need to get to season two and. But getting back to the the reboot, um, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was I thought it was a really good companion piece. If you place it in like if you're trying to be like, well, which one is Ash? It's like no, none of them are Ash. Because Ash exists in this world. Yeah, <laughs> you'll see it in the credits. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like it's a good companion piece that this is happening. And also that would that you yeah, makes me think of the the treatment or the outline for the Freddy vs. Jason Ash that 
this is just another Necronomicon that Ash hasn't located yet. Yeah. You know, that these kids pull upon and, you know, so I'm a, I'm a, I, I am a fan of the, of the reboot and I was so adamantly against it. I was like, if there's, there's going to be an Evil Dead movie without Ash, screw you, Sam <laughs> Raimi, you know? Yeah. I was spitting, it was spitting in my computer, computer monitor when I read the news, so, yeah, that was me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you want to do? Uh, did you have any honorable mentions or ones that didn't make the cut? I mean, I've already I've already mentioned some of them. Uh, you know, I certainly already mentioned some of them. Uh, Creepshow is another one I would definitely put like the almost made it but not quite. Um, I I do appreciate. Uh, we we talked about Scream earlier when you put it on your your list that's one that's definitely uh not too far down on my list um talking about bruce campbell a little bit more i absolutely love don coscarelli's uh bubba hotep um, bubba hotep yeah. i was really it was really a shame that uh bubba nosferatu never got off the ground um right <clears throat> let's see i blame i blame bird notice mm-hmm for being popular. Yeah. yeah, that's true, actually. Um, let's see. I I love the the so the two the two that uh Haxon and it uh overtook on my uh top ten list that uh were removed from last year. Uh Gore Verbinski's The Ring, which is a terrific uh terrific ad- American adaptation of uh Ring You with uh Naomi Watts, who was her first role after uh, Mulholland Drive. And uh, it's just, it, I like it. I liken it in the, I look at it the same way I sort of look at The Shining. I mean, it's just a really well executed ghost story. Um, <clears throat> and so that was one of the films that got removed from my top 10. The other one was, we talked about Hammer a little bit earlier. Uh, was Terrence Fisher's Horror of Dracula, which was Hammer's first uh, Dracula adaptation with Peter Cushing as Van Helsing and Christopher Lee as Dracula. Uh, that is. I just watched that. I watched that one as part of my fifty. Yeah, and uh, that was that was one that uh, Ron and I watched on uh, Halloween as well because he's really liked it. When I after I showed it to him a long time ago. Uh, okay. But yeah, I mean some of the. I, I appreciate some of the Hammer movies. You know, you, you mentioned Universal movies. Uh, I mean, Bride of Frankenstein's the best of the Universal movies, I think. But, uh, I mean, you can't really go wrong with any of the iconic classics like uh, Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman. Um, let's see. Yeah, I'm trying to... Cabinet of Dr. Calgary, we talked about... Oh, yeah. So back and think on some, and I'll I'll just rattle off the ones that I I didn't have on my list. The uh, first up was Frankenstein, nineteen nineteen thirty one. I that one uh, is so beautiful. I I yeah. still think it's absolutely beautiful. Um, and of course that's where the iconic Frankenstein's monsters look came from. Mm-hmm. In the book, he's not described that way. And uh, uh, oh man, what's his name? Uh, Jack Pierce, the makeup effects guy for Frankenstein. He's the one that came up with the flat head, the bolts in the neck, the droopy eyes, the tight fitting okay. suit. That was that was all Jack Pierce. Mm-hmm. Um, last, like I said, Last Man on Earth almost made it. Uh, it was actually number number ten for a while. Um, 
but last minute or starting to some price, you know, based on uh, uh, Richard Matson's uh, uh, I Am Legend. Yeah. And of course, Omega, Omega Man, I Am Legend, and I Am Omega, the, mm-hmm. the cheese ball directed DVD movie. Yeah. Based on that. I, <laughs> I really enjoy it. A lot of people say it's, uh, I've never read the book, but a lot of people say Last Man on Earth was the most. Uh, loyal to the source material. Yeah, that's why that's why uh, I've heard as well. I have seen Last Man on Earth is really good. I I a friend of mine actually let me borrow it uh, around the time I Am Legend, the Will Smith film came out. So yeah, I've seen Last Man on Earth as well, and yeah, it's really good. Excellent. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, original nineteen seventy four. Nineteen seventy eight Dawn of the Dead, which is still I think the best <laughs> Romero film. Yeah. Uh, Hellraiser. Clive Barker's Hellraiser. Mm. Yeah, so, and I, I, I forgot a, about Clive Barker because of the fact that it's like, I've seen Hellraiser, I've seen Nightbreed, and I've seen Lord of Illusions. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I and I, I like what he does as a horror writer and as a horror filmmaker, but, yeah, I mean, none of those are... I need to go back and rewatch some of them. Like especially uh, Hellraiser and Nightbreed, but uh, yeah, I mean right. Clive, Clive Barker's definitely one of the uh, <clears throat> one of the more singular voices in the genre. Right. Uh, I got Jaws. Yeah, I know a lot of people make jokes that it's not horror, but how many people like were afraid to go in the water after seeing Jaws? Jaws. I mean that that shark is one of the great uh, movie monsters of all time, and yeah, I mean that that Absolutely. would probably be my top. 20 probably um yeah it, it's one of those things where it's like i to a certain extent it's like and i'll go ahead and include one not that it was in my top 20 because i do consider it more sci-fi than i do horror but alien ridley scott's alien um oh yeah is, the, haunt, the, the haunted house tale yeah yeah the, and i mean it's, it's a haunted house it's haunted house in space yeah um <laughs> so to speak, with a stalker. Um, then part two, obviously, Aliens is, a, is more of the action. Yeah, it's more of a horror uh, movie. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's it's really one of the, because I, I rewatched uh, the rest, the that franchise before uh, Covenant came out earlier this year. And yeah, it's, it's fascinating to me that like how all of those films really tell very different stories and touch on a lot of different uh genres and genre tropes too it's like with you know they're very there's not really much similarity with any of those films and that's one of the things i like about it ripley's pretty much the 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 costume um another one i had was uh of course the shining i said the exorcist yeah that almost made a cut Mm -hmm. uh john carpenter's the thing Mm-hmm. Uh, which, I need to see that I again. I, I I love it. I loved it when I see it, but I need to see it again because it's been too long. And finally, the the last one that almost made it was uh, a little Canadian film called Cube. I have heard about that over the years. I have not seen it. It's been in my it's been in my Netflix queue for DVD queue for basically as long as I've had my Netflix DVD queue. Uh, but yeah, I just I just haven't gotten to it yet. But I've always heard very good things about it. It's it's on Instant View right now. The, okay, they just added it. All right, it's on it's on the streaming networks. One one and two are both on there. Cube Zero is not, which is the prequel. 
the, the way I rank it is cube one is great. Cube mm-hmm. two is, is pretty good. And cube zero is all right. <laughs> okay. It, the, 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 the quality goes down a little bit with each one, but not to the point where it's like, ugh, they ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> there's my, like, there's my top like 30 apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what? I mean, the fact of better is it's like even even though my list has kind of been set in stone for a lot of years, I mean, there are still films that come to mind where it's like, yeah, that could definitely be on there. Yeah, that could definitely like you mentioned Jaws. I didn't even think about that. But at the same time, it's like, well, why didn't I think about that? And I mean, because it's a fantastic movie. I mean, same with The Exorcist. I mean, when you you mentioned The Exorcist, I was thinking I, I haven't seen Exorcist 2 and 3, but I've seen both versions of Exorcist the beginning. Both the Ronnie oh, okay. Harlan one that was released in theaters as well as the Paul Schrader one that they basically had Rennie Harlan reshoot. And right. uh, Dominion, which is the Paul Schrader one, I really love. I really thought was is a very good companion to the original Exorcist. Well, you learn, you've learned uh, this month when you suggested I should watch Dark Exorcist that I am not a fan yeah. of the Exorcist movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know why they don't click with me, but Ex- The Exorcist and The Exorcist 3 are like the only two that I like. Mm-hmm. And I, I love The Exorcist and I like Part 3. Part 2 is absolute garbage. Pazuzu, <laughs> go to hell. Yeah, It's dumb. <laughs> Stupid movie, a stupid premise, it's convoluted. I'm sorry. James Old Jones should not subject himself to that crap. <laughs> <laughs> You're Darth Vader, for Christ's sake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the end. Uh, so that's how I feel about The Heretic. Yeah. Okay, we can go on for another, another four hours. If, if we, if oh, we yeah, at stop. least. I mean, yeah, we, <laughs> we, we probably should... Uh, yeah, I mean, we I mean, we could easily go for another few hours. I mean, I, I think part of that is because of the fact that we... We, we don't really talk to each other otherwise, um, which is a shame and, you know, probably need to do a better job of that on my part. But uh, no, I mean, the fact that better is it's like it, we I, I knew I knew when I came up with like the the group of uh, episodes that I wanted to do horror related. I wanted to at least do one with you. And I, oh, I like you. the fact that it's like it was. You know, and I like the fact that I was able to challenge you as far as making a list of your 10 favorite horror movies. I mean, even though it ended up basically being like 15 with the, you know, sequels and stuff like that. But the fact that better is, it's like, that's, that's, that's fine. That doesn't, that makes all the sense in the world to me. I get that. Like, if you ask me my 10 favorite movies of all time, it's actually going to be like 17 because eight of them are Star Wars movies. But <laughs> it's like go that's just I I'm going to include those together. I mean that's just how it is. I mean, you know. So I get it. I mean, you know, like I said, it doesn't surprise me that it didn't surprise me. House of a Thousand Corpses and uh, Devil's Rejects were on there together, and it didn't surprise me that you had the Evil Dead movies on there together. Because I mean, of course you do. It makes sense. Which one's your favorite child? You can't do that. At yeah. least not when they're around, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just like I can I can say Evil Dead too because that's the one that I watch the most. And it's like it's nothing against the other two. I just enjoy watching that one more. Um, but yeah, I mean, with Friday Thirteenth, Friday Thirteenth Part Two, it's like those form a natural narrative. So it's the like companions. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we could, we could absolutely go on for a few more hours, but yeah, we, we really should be wrapping it up And it. Yeah. I'm curious to see, I, I might, I will probably as much as I, I don't necessarily want to, I do think it'll probably be splendid too. Like we'll do the top 10 as the second part. And then the first part will be the movies that we saw that were new to us that we really enjoyed, uh, over the past, uh, the past month or so, but I, w- I knew I wanted to do a sort of wrap up of this past October with you because of the fact, that, I mean, you're, you're one of the biggest horror movie, uh, buffs that I know. And I, I had so much fun talking to you, uh, the last podcast about it. And it's like, Oh, I got to do at least one horror podcast with, uh, Marv. So thank you very much for oh. joining this, join me. And I'm glad we were able to do this today. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. All right. Yeah, so thank you very much to uh Marv Dickey. And I'm going to uh I'm gonna turn off the record here and then uh, get everything saved and stuff like that. I'm not too worried about uh I'm I, I think everything should have turned out all right, but I'll go ahead and get that started. Uh but uh before I let you go and I'm just going to uh turn off the record here. Thank you very much to Marv Dickey for uh, joining me to discuss uh, our respective October horror marathons. It was a lot of fun. We could have gone for several more hours, uh, but it turned out really well. Uh, Thank you for uh, listening to us uh, for quite a while, and I will definitely have more with Marv uh, coming up soon. We'll do some uh, discussions of just some movies that we're respectively familiar with and sort of like compare and contrast how we feel about them. And uh, we'll we'll probably do some more of that in addition to some more uh, horror movie discussion. So for now, thank you very much. And this is the Sonic Cinema Podcast signing off. Thank you very much. <laughs>